one of the biggest obstacles for people to overcome is the fact that like in America or pretty much like I've traveled to many countries in the world, like oftentimes like anywhere you step out outside, like nine out of 10 people are full of like obesity and disease, yeah. like full of mental and physical pain. So the reference point to what healthy is has it's, actually lowered a tremendous yeah, amount. Totally. Because I, I, mean, I, because I get a lot of people that come up to me in the grocery store tours and they're like, man, I've been eating this, this factory farm food my whole entire life. And I'm like completely fine. Meanwhile, they're like 30% body fat. Yeah. They have all sorts of joint pain. They're on like three yeah. different medications. So that tells me like this person kind of has lost the conscious awareness of what health and wellness really is. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul talks with author and fat loss coach, Eugene Trafkin. Based in Irvine, California, Eugene owes Trufkin Athletics and is the author of Laws of Aesthetics and the Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. Well, hello and welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. I have an exciting and interesting podcast for you. Our topic today is the Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide. And our guest expert is Eugene Trufkin. Eugene, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Paul. I'm honored to be on your show. Thank you. It was uh, funny because Eugene was just in HLC3 with me, and he didn't mention that he was the Eugene that wrote this book because I'd been communicating with him by email, and I'd looked at the book before it was published, and him and I had been talking about doing the podcast for some time. So when he pulled into my driveway, I went, that's the same Eugene that was in my class. So I was surprised and he didn't mention it because he wanted to keep the focus on the class, which was nice of you. Thank you. But I would have loved to have realized it was you. So it was quite a surprise. But uh, it's a beautiful book, Eugene, and um, I'm grateful that you wrote it. This is the kind of information a lot of people need. Um, I have a number of shopping guides in my library, but none of them really isolate out the organic, uh, biodynamic, nor do they go into the uh, quite the specific focuses you have in this one. So it's a very unique book. Um, it's lovely that it's it's beautifully illustrated. It's easy to read. Uh, you've got beautiful bullet points for the topics covered in each chapter. It's beautifully illustrated as well, which I think is fantastic. You've got lots of little call-out boxes with misconceptions and keynotes. So uh, I wanted to get you on the podcast and share this book because I think this book should be in everybody's house and it should be in every mother's uh, purse when she goes to the store for their own well-being and their children. So what inspired you to write the Anti-Factory Farm Shopping Guide, Eugene? Yeah, so basically I was kind of born and raised on an off-grid biodynamic farm in Ukraine. That's cool. And uh, for your listeners that don't know about uh, what a biodynamic or biodiverse farm is, it's, yeah. it's typically what a person has a mental image of in their mind's eye of when they think of kind of farming. Mm -hmm. So they see like a, uh, like a wide variety of animals in the farm, a wide variety of crops, yeah. kind of preferably uh, living in a small family unit and a self-sustaining kind of like ecosystem in the in the farm. Yeah. And uh, basically, when I kind of came to the US and for the first time I went to the supermarket, I thought the US mastered 
organic biodynamic farming when I walked into like a Costco, for instance. Right. I'm like, man, this is why the U. This is why everyone wants to come to the U.S. You know, <laughs> Th- this is why they're an economic superpower because they're able to basically sell like 50 eggs for like a dollar 50 at Costco that are like biodynamic and pasture raised and super organic. And maybe like um, four years ago or so, I ran into. Uh, like a lecture you're presenting called The Dirt Facts. Yeah. And I ran into it on YouTube. Nutrition, The Dirt Facts. Yeah, Nutrition, yeah. The Dirt Facts. Yeah. And that's what kind of like opened my eyes and got me to kind of like unplug from like the matrix, quote right. unquote, the matrix. And then at that point, I was like, that, that's when I started questioning the food production practices in the US. At that point, I was like, man, maybe they're not producing it the same exact way we're producing food on that off-grid biodynamic farm in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's dramatically different. Yes. And basically, that's where all the confusion actually began. Mm. So, for example, like most people in the U.S. or like in the world in general, they probably don't care about their health that much. But for, <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> yeah, but for the people that even do care, it's still like extremely, extremely complicated, especially in the U.S. to source high-quality food with the tremendous amount of like labeling deception that goes on yes. in the agricultural industry. Yeah. So... For example, let's say a person wants to kind of transform their health and they hire like a dietitian right. to help them out with the nutrition portion of, uh, of their journey. Yes. And that dietitian, among like a couple of other things, tell, a couple of other things tells the person, oh, just make sure, just make sure you're buying grass-fed beef. Right. So basically 99% of people are going to take that information and go to the local, local supermarket and find grass-fed beef there. Right, and this is the amount of confusion that exists in labeling, even with something as as popular as as grass fed as the grass fed label. Mm-hmm. So, first and foremost, it's important for the listener to understand that all cattle are grass fed. It's impossible to feed grain to cattle their entire life and keep them alive. Right. So, whenever you see the grass fed label, it really doesn't say too much. No, because a, a, a popular understanding is like, okay, it's grass fed, but it's grain finished. Right. So in this case, it's important for listener to know that the cattle, their species specific diet is more in tune with that of a herbivore. Mm-hmm. Like typically they're going to be eating grass their entire life, ideally, mm-hmm. and other forage as well. But what happens in most production practices is like, for instance, cattle are, let's say in a two year production cycle or an 18 months of production cycle, for the most part, they're going to be on pasture eating grass for a large portion of their life. But the bulk majority of that cattle is going to be sent to a feedlot where they're fed nothing but grains for the last few months before they're harvested or sent to a slaughterhouse, for example. Mm -hmm. And that short period of time where they're fed that grain, it changes the nutritional profile of the meat quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes this person that wants to change their health will go to the supermarket, they'll see that grass-fed label, which is not regulated at all by anybody, and they'll continue to buy that meat pretty much for their whole entire life and not, not uh, question it whatsoever. But the problem with feeding like a non-species specific diet to an animal like cattle, for example, is oftentimes if it's heavily supplemented with grain, it's going to ruin the natural balance of omega-3 to omega-6, yeah. causing kind of like a pro-inflammatory effect in the person that continues to eat that meat. Yeah. And um, you can touch on it in a lot more detail, but a person can look up the inflammation theory of disease and they'll see that the bulk majority of diseases arise from low-grade chronic inflammation. Mm-hmm. 
So once again, this person's intention is to optimize their health. Yeah. They're buying this grass-fed meat, thinking that is what it's doing, mm -hmm. but in fact, it's kind of most likely grain-finished. Yes. And sometimes people, I give grocery store tours to people that are interested in losing body fat, and mm -hmm. I try to teach them about the food production practices there. And sometimes they'll go like, oh, like I buy grass-fed and grass-finished beef. Right. And this is another huge uh, deception going on here, because oftentimes what happens is the cattle would be once again fed grass, let's say for the first like 10 months of their life or something then fed grain for a couple months and then finished for about like a week on grass mm. and they'll still label it grass fed and grass finished. Yeah. And then once again, the person is buying that meat, trusting the label, thinking it's giving them the health benefits. And mm -hmm. it might be healthier, for instance, than eating like uh, processed food and stuff like that, but it's definitely not optimizing the nutritional profile mm -hmm. of the food group. Yeah. And then to make it even more complicated, sometimes people go like, oh, but it says 100% grass fed. Mm -hmm. But I could easily be a rancher and finish my cattle on grass pellets or hay in a feedlot. Mm -hmm. That actually happened to me. Like I, I was buying 100% grass fed beef for about like a year from a very popular organic local supermarket uh, here in Southern California. And then one day I decided to give the company a call. And they're honest. They're like, yeah, we do. They are raised on pasture, but then we send them to a feedlot and feed them grass pellets for like the last few months. Right. And so that kind of like just basically summarizes the, the level of confusion uh, that goes on with even just the grass-fed label. Mm -hmm. And also to make it like a little bit more complicated, the U.S. actually imports about 90% of its uh, grass-fed beef. Mm -hmm. So most of it isn't even actually produced in the U.S. So now you have mm -hmm. like a, a few problems because depending on where it's, it's uh, imported from, I mean, a lot of times those countries don't even have the, the amount of resources to even combat like serious crime in their country. Moreover, mm -hmm. go after farms for like slight irregulations yeah. on like, oh, did you feed them any grain? Did you make sure to yeah. feed them grass 100% of the time, right. uh, et cetera, et cetera, so... There's also the issue of the quality of the grass and whether or not that grass is organic. And um, just because an animal's grass-fed doesn't mean that it's healthy, um, even if it's free-range. If you're free-range and you're walking around in a sea of pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, chemical fertilizers, um, you know, years ago I read a book that said on average an animal uh, makes one pound of meat for every six pounds of, of vegetable matter it consumes. Um, now that could range from animal to animal, but I think they were just giving a general um, estimate. But that's a lot of bioaccumulation of toxins, you know. And the other thing is, is where did this? What quality of the grass is the pellets, and where did they come from? And then the other issue too that I've read a lot about over the years is that when they grain finish cattle, then it pr produces huge amounts of acidity in their body. It shifts their body extremely acid, which again makes them sick. And also uh, high levels of acidity set uh, any organism up for parasite infections. So you get uh, all these animals that are being fed incorrectly, which makes them very sick, which of course leads to lots of antibiotics and various drugs to literally keep them alive. And I've seen many videos showing them pulling dead cows out of the, uh, out of the pens that they, they put them in for the, uh, 
grain-fed portion of it because the, the animals are so sick, they're just dying. Yep, exactly. So there's a lot of uh, complicated stuff going on that, as you're mentioning, goes below the radar of public awareness. And it's interesting, too, when you when you look at what, you know, when I did my research, I got the entire USDA organic um, document from the government, which was hundreds of pages. I mean, this thing was a huge pile of paper sitting on my desk. It took me months to go through it all. And I was amazed at all the deception that they had in that thing, too. I mean, you you start looking at things like, um, you know, things like cupcakes and cakes can be called certified organic as long as it's 70% organic. Well, when you think of like, okay, well, they can put 30% of whatever they want in there and still call it organic. Well, how much mercury is safe? How much pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, rodenticides, uh, glyphosate is safe. They don't even measure stuff like that. And, and I saw, you know, lists of ingredients that were put into these things that were the opposite of organic. And they have all sorts of qualification criteria that until you read the actual document, you would have no idea. You, you know, the typical person buying thinks, oh, I'm getting organic food. It's nice and clean. And the USDA certification is probably one of the better ones out there. I found the gold standard worldwide is the Demeter Association. Are you familiar with them? Yep. And I actually, surprisingly, I was in Germany like about uh, three months ago. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised to see that actually the bulk majority of their supermarkets, like maybe 20% of the produce was Demeter certified. That's great, yeah. So you kind of like never never see that in any supermarket in the US pretty no. much. So. No, but I use that when my students ask me, well, what's the, what, what do we kind of compare it to? I say, well, Demeter is, is the best one I could find. And the other thing too, as I've mentioned in my classes and my lectures on this, um, you know, today there's over a hundred organic certifications, most of which are owned by corporations like Pepsi Cola, Mars Bar, Snickers, Cadbury, um, uh, you got, uh, uh, all sorts of soda pop companies, candy companies. Um, I can't remember them all. Kellogg's. I mean, people that you would never, ever think would have an organic certification. But when I looked into this, one of the key features that I found is any real organic certification ha requires that there's a two-year gestation period where you have to farm organically and they test your soil to see what impurities in it, what chemicals are in it. And they won't give you your organic certification until you pass their soil test. So if it takes two years or five years, it doesn't matter. But the key thing about a real organic certification is you can't actually get your certification to label your food certified organic until you've passed their, their final soil analysis. But of the hundred or so out there, I think there's only probably four or five, if you're lucky, that actually require soil testing. The, all the other ones have to do is pay a fee. You just pay a fee and you label your food organic. And so it, it's it's just, it's sad for me because we, it, we've, it would be like the equivalent of saying you can become a medical doctor by taking a correspondence course and nobody's going to evaluate whether or not you can do surgery or you know how to prescribe drugs. And all of a sudden, everyone's wondering why so many people are dying at the hands of medical doctors. Not that that's not already a problem, but um, 
you know, people have a tendency to not realize how critical food is to their well-being. Our culture uh, has gotten into this habit of thinking of food like energy and energy alone, the way they buy gasoline and shop for gasoline. But they don't realize that food is not just energy, it's information. And whenever you add chemicals or a cow or an animal eats things that aren't designed for it, you're bringing information into the system that confuses the system. So you feed cows grain. They're not designed to eat grain. It acidifies their body. It's not a food they can eat. It inflames their digestive tract, gives them, you go to the feedlots and you go to these, I've been to many of them. Most of these animals have bad diarrhea. You see diarrhea all over the place because they're sick. And so when when we realize that we're the food we eat provides information that our cellular systems our glands our organs and our tissues use to recreate themselves if that information is confused it's kind of like having a virus in a computer system you can't put the wrong information into software or it'll, or it'll completely screw up your computer and so one of the big challenges is that because people continue to see food as energy and not as information and not realizing the concept of biocompatibility, they end up spending tons of money running to doctors and therapists. And the point I was leading to is we now have this whole big issue of metabolic syndrome, which is kind of a, you know, whenever a doctor uses the word syndrome, it typically means I don't know what the fuck's going on with this person. I just know there's something wrong. So low back pain syndrome means there's something causing pain in their back, but we can't figure out what it is. So I used to love those diagnoses because it usually means I can do what I want to do because the doctor's not sure what's wrong. If he thinks he knows what's wrong and you'd go outside of his prescription, then you usually have a battle on your hands. But when a doctor uses syndrome, it means I don't know what the fuck's going on. And so we have this whole worldwide issue of metabolic syndrome that's tied with all the obesity. Well, what do you think a feedlot is? It's a place where they induce metabolic syndrome, make cows sick. And when I was going through the USDA document, I looked at the allowable foods for, for cattle. My fucking God, dude. Engine oil, plastic chips, sawdust, cement dust. I mean, the stuff that they were allowed to feed cows was mind-blowing. And we all know that when your body gets toxic, if you can't detoxify it, it shuttles it off into the fat to protect the vital systems, the brain, the nervous system, the organs, the glands. And of course, you have to bring in as much water as you can to try to detoxify that. So you're, they don't sell, when they sell animals, be it pork, be it sheep, whatever, they don't, they just sell them by the pound, but they don't sell them by how much of that is fat or how much is water. So it's a big scam, you see, because if they can make these animals real heavy, then they sell them by the pound. They make lots of money. So the point is, whatever you do to the animal, you're doing to yourself. If you're ignorant of what they're doing to the animals, then you're going to run around wondering why you're spending all this money on what's supposed to be good food or grass-fed or the seemingly more expensive should be better. Yet, your body's not healing or you're getting worse or you're suffering fungal infections or parasite infections or you're tired all the time or your head's foggy or your under eyes are all swollen because your kidneys backed up or you got allergic shiners. And so, 
And, and the more people inflame their guts, the more they get leaky gut syndrome, the more their immune system develops antibodies against everything they eat, so they back themselves right into a corner. Then you've got all these uh, dangerous pesticides and her, uh, you know fungicides and rodenticides coming in, and they wipe out your microorganisms in your gut, and the only things that can survive those chemicals are the pathogenic microorganisms. So you start testing people's stools like I have for years and on the average the ratio should be 85 friendly percent friendly or or probiotic meaning friendly bacteria to non-friendly almost every person I ever tested had an inverted ratio 85 percent unfriendly to uh, sometimes uh, 15 percent or less friendly and they had all these health problems ranging from you know irritable bowel to colitis to um chronic constipation uh some of them i mean i used to have people that were pooping sometimes 30 times a day because their system was just so irritated from all the stuff they were eating and a lot of these people thought they were on really good diets too hi everybody i hope you're enjoying the podcast if you've been following my work for any length of time at all you know how important organic food and organic farming is not only for the health of the soil and to protect all the little beings in nature from toxic chemicals and throwing nature completely out of balance, which directly affects us, but also for our own health and well-being. We all need nutrient-dense foods for body-mind well-being. And I'm so excited about the Organifi line. Organifi is a product line made of certified organic source materials, and I've checked this out personally. I can guarantee you that. One of my favorites that I've recently tried is their red juice, which has acai and cordyceps infused into it. It's a super, super tasty product, and it revitalizes skin cells, supports your metabolism, has antioxidants in it, age-fighting nutrients, helps mental clarity. It's got a lovely natural sweet flavor. And something that I found really interesting, if you go to Organifi.com and look up the red juice, they show you a price per serving comparison against Palm Wonderful, Red Bull, Gatorade, and a Starbucks latte. And Organifi Red Juice is actually significantly more cost effective considering not only the price, but the density of the nutrients in it. I think you'll be really amazed with this red juice, along with all their other products. If you go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, and as you're checking out, use the code lowercase c-h-e-k-20 altogether, you will get a 20% discount on your Organifi purchases. I'm super excited to share this company. I've tested their products, my family's tested their products, and we're all behind them. And I know you're going to be satisfied because this is the real deal. This is true nutrition. Check it out. As you check out, C-H-E-K-20 to get your discount. Thanks for joining me. Hope you to continue to enjoy the podcast. And if you love it, share it with as many people as you can. Yeah, exactly. And then when I do give these grocery store tours, oftentimes the the audience knows that there's like trace amounts of like all sorts of biocides on their produce. Yeah. But there are basically like three underlying myths that I hear constantly that kind of help them justify the continued purchase of that conventionally farmed crop. This kind of applies to... 
the vegetarians out there as well. We just kind of touched <laughs> on beef production also, but this totally applies to vegetarians. Yes. And everyone in general, because it all cycles kind of back into the ecosystem. Yes. And the first big one is people are like, well, they tell me like the government looks out for my well-being and they wouldn't allow these harmful pesticides to be used on the produce if it actually harmed my health. Right. But it's important for the audience to know that the complete formulation of a pesticide is never required to be tested for safety. Right. So common sense uh, from my perspective would say like, okay, so I have a complete product. I'll, I'll spray it on some crop and see if it causes some kind of damage or health effects to a person's body. But really what happens is there are basically two underlining categories that compose a complete formulation. One is the active ingredient, which is kind of the main ingredient in the compound. And then there's also like a myriad of inactive ingredients or mm -hmm. inert ingredients, mm -hmm. which help increase the potency of that active ingredient. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, I guess the amount of time will stay on the crop. I don't know the exact word for it. Mm -hmm. And basically what's required for safety testing is just to test the active ingredient in isolation on its own. Right. So there are a few problems with that. Uh, one problem is that in any cop, uh, crop rotation cycle in a conventionally farmed system or factory farm system, they're going to be using like a myriad of different pesticides, as you yes. mentioned, herbicides, fungicides, whatever, biocides, synthetic fertilizers as well. Yeah. And there's no safety testing done on how these myriad or cocktail of chemicals work in synergy with one another True. to actually prove that, that it is safe. Yeah. And, um, for instance, like the average newborn born in America is born with trace amounts of about like 200 different chemicals in their bloodstream already. Including so, glyphosate. Yeah, exactly. So that's very, very important to consider. So in terms of like the safety rating, at the end of the day, no one really knows how safe this mixture of chemicals is. And for the most part, like I think the only person that hasn't done any long-term studies is a French scientist or a French scientist uh, that... Uh, it could be found on PubMed through Seralini Labs. And he's the only one that actually uh, tested long-term safety of complete formulations mm. of these pesticides. And I've always found that in the presence of these inert compounds, obviously the active ingredient is a lot more potent yeah. and is a lot more dangerous as well. Yeah. And the second, the second thing a lot of people uh, kind of mentioned to me is like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to kind of like wash off these chemicals mm -hmm. and it's all the same. Right. And what I, what I tell them is that, first of all, a lot of the modern pesticides are systemic pesticide. Mm -hmm. So they're meant to get actually soaked up by the root of the plant and they actually become embedded as part of the nutritional profile of the entire crop. Yeah. So just by peeling off the skin or just by washing the outside of the produce, you're only getting rid of a very small amount yeah. of the actual chemical mm -hmm. compounds. Most of it is actually embedded in the actual crop. Yeah. And then the third one, and there's a really good book on this called The Myth of Safe Pesticides by Andre Liu. And I had a mm. great chance. He took a lot of time out of his day to kind of like talk to me about this subject. So it's, Fantastic. A, it's very easy to read. He has like a lot of very credible studies and he's been doing this for a very, very long time speaking out about the myths of safe pesticides. I'm surprised How, he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. You know, like after they started banning like a... Uh, Dr. Axe and Mercola and all those websites. I'm like, I asked him, I'm like, oh, are they going to come after you? He's like, probably pretty soon, you know? So that's, that's a great resource for anyone that wants to kind of get a good understanding. And it's not like technical, like hardcore scientific mm. reading. It's mm. like a very interesting read. It's one of my favorite books. Mm. I'll have to make sure it's in the show notes. 
Yep. And then, uh, so yeah, the third one is like a lot of times people are like, oh, I can't even see the chemical residue. It's in such small <laughs> amounts. Like, how is it possibly going to affect me? Yeah. But they could easily kind of go to pubmed.gov and find a myriad of studies, especially with like a popular chemical these days, glyphosate, which comes from Roundup created by Monsanto. And yeah. now it's kind of owned by Bayer. That you'll even find that even in one part per trillion, which is kind of like one drop for like three size Olympic size swimming pools, mm -hmm. it has like an effect on your health. Oh, yes. Yeah. So take that into consideration, take into consideration that that's not, the active ingredient isn't the only chemical you're exposed to on a daily basis. You're exposed to environmental chemicals, mm -hmm. you're exposed to a tremendous amount of chemicals from your food, especially if you're eating like a conventionally farmed uh, or factory farmed diet. So it's kind of like, in terms of those three myths, they are just myths and it's not yeah. like very, it's not very safe to eat that food in my opinion. So Yeah. Um did you ever listen to my podcast with Dave Murphy from Food Democracy Now? Yep. Yeah, because that's a, a good podcast for those of you that want to get the inside story on glyphosate. They were, I think, the first uh, organization to beat Monsanto in a lawsuit. And um, he's done extensive research. Uh, so I highly recommend my podcast with Dave Murphy. And some of the things, too, that came up listening to you, because I've researched this quite a bit over the years myself, uh, one of the research studies that I looked at when I was writing my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, was a research study done by scientists in New Zealand, which is considered to be one of the healthiest countries with some of the best farming practices and, and uh, even their medical system is quite well um, valued. But uh, what the scientists did was they went into a, an elementary school. Mm -hmm. and I they, remember reading about this. Yeah. I think uh, Food of Deception. Um, I forgot the name of your book. I kind of read it a long time oh, ago. Oh, Under the Veil of Deception. Under the Veil of Deception. Yeah. yeah. What Uncle Sam isn't telling you about organic food and organic farming. But just for the listeners, what they did is they just went through the food line just like a kid and then took that food right to the laboratory. They found 19 different pesticides um, some of them had 10 times the safe level for a da daily consumption of just the one pesticide. Um, when I looked into those pesticides and, and, and looked at what they would do, it would do things like damaging the genes, disrupting hormone regulation, blocking of the body's ability to produce certain hormones. Um, so that was interesting. And that was in New Zealand of all places. Um, but another thing that I can't remember if it was that paper, but another that one or another one I read brought up something that was very important. And what they mentioned was, as you said, none of these t pesticides are ever tested in combination. And so they said that when you're eating f typical persons eating food, you got your peas, your broccoli, your your beef, and your potatoes. You can have you know many different pesticides that you don't even know are interacting. But what they said was. And they researched this. They said, when you put these foods into frying pans and in ovens, it causes the pesticides to recombine with each other and it produces new molecules that have never been seen before. Yep. They found molecules after cooking food that weren't ever identified as molecules that anybody had ever recorded in the history of recording chemicals. And they made the point, 
If these molecules have never been seen before, you will have no mechanism to detoxify them because everything we've learned to detoxify in nature, we had to do through repeated exposures, often over a thousand years, such as the defense chemicals in plants. I mean, you know, there would have been a time when eating caffeine, plants with caffeine could have been very devastating to you. But after repeated exposures, we build the enzyme pathways and the, and the body learns how to break them down. So when you're realizing that the amount of people that are eating chemicals that are completely novel, that the body has no way to break down, and that those chemicals get shuttled into your fat, and, and the other thing that people don't realize is when you decide you're going to go on a diet, or you're going to go to the gym, and you're going to start lifting weights, and you go on to like one of these, you know, the Bill Phillips bodybuilding contests, or body shaping contests, and the metrics contests, those were big for a while, and people would get very sick, and they mm -hmm. couldn't figure out, why am I getting sick? I'm in better shape, and I'm leaner than I've ever been, but I would be running blood tests, and functional medicine tests, and environmental chemical toxicity tests on these people, and they were jacked to the nines with every kind of environmental chemical you can imagine, mercury and all sorts of stuff. But the point that I'm making is when you start training hard like that or dieting or fasting, the first thing your body does to keep you alive is it starts metabolizing the fat that you've stored, but then it has to expose itself to the chemicals. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the nutrition and you don't have the enzymes on board, which if you're still eating the way most people eat, you won't have those because... Most people don't eat near enough of a variety of foods. Most of the foods that they think are good foods are still commercial foods. So uh, a lot of people found themselves having unusual illnesses while they were confused because they should have been getting healthier. So this is also something people need to be aware of. You know, if you start dieting and you start exercising and you don't have adequate nutrition on board to uh, effectively run your detoxification pathways, you could find yourself getting really sick and it can be very confusing for people. Yeah, exactly. And one thing I also forgot to leave out in terms of the testing, in terms of the safety testing for the chemical or for the pesticides or other biocides used in agriculture, it's also important to consider like a lot of this testing is done in-house yes. at the chemical companies yes. by their scientists that are yeah. on their payroll. Yeah. And then they take those results and then kind of send it to the FDA or EPA or whoever is in charge, and they evaluate their results. So it's kind of like, for instance, like a teacher letting you grade your own exam. Yes. And as Andre Liu would say, also let you write your own questions. Yes. So that's another huge, huge uh, problem in the industry as well. So That's what I call a date with the devil. Yep. You, you are playing with fire, and it's, it's ridiculous because it's completely unethical to do that. I mean, it's... Um, you know, they do this with medical drugs as well. So it's like, uh, and the other thing is a lot of the testing that they do to determine the efficacy of various chemicals and drugs is done on computer models. So they actually think they can simulate a human being on in a software program. So when they're making evaluations as to the potential risk of a lot of these chemicals, they're not even testing them on animals or anything. They're using computer simulations, but the the range of difference between us is radical. Uh, I mean, there's a great book, Biochemical Individuality by Roger Williams, PhD, and, and he does a phenomenal job of showing how radically different people even in the same family are. So, 
you know, part of the problem is, is that we have got an addiction to people that wear white coats and have degrees and call themselves scientists and doctors and experts without realizing that a lot of the things that these people are doing are not well thought out. They're not ethical. And, you know, as I've said in podcasts before, scientists are the modern prostitutes. Most of them, um, 75% of all the uh, scientists that work in the uh, agricultural industry for pest control and, and weeds are on the payrolls of major corporations. And if they don't get the results the corporation wants, they just get fired. Yep. Uh, so they do a lot of tricks with math and statistics to make things look safe. But, you know, the, the, the thing too is that, and I've been telling people this for my whole career, it doesn't matter what somebody says is safe. It doesn't matter what degrees they have behind their name. If you're eating it and your body's not doing well, stop freaking eating it. But people will eat themselves right into death all the while telling themselves this is okay because so-and-so said it's safe. It's fucking dangerous. And, uh, you know, when you consider how much food people eat, it's not like you're taking a, a drug where you might take it once or twice a day. People are eating a fair bit of food. I mean, the average person is eating three meals a day. That's a lot of volume. And when you look at the density of these chemicals in foods, it's a lot. And in my book, Under the Veil of Deception, I talk about a, a concept that many people haven't thought about, and I call it the homeopathologic effect. And there's mountains of research showing not only do homeopathics work, but interestingly, with a homeopathic, the less of a, the, the source molecule there is, the stronger the effect is. And it, without going through a long lecture on homeopathy, they use a process called succussion and reduction and energetically, they've, this is very verifiable. It's, there's millions of papers on it now. But the point I'm making is when they say, oh, this chemical or this pesticide or whatever in your food is safe at two parts per billion uh, per volume, say kilogram or whatever they use, what they don't realize is that when you get chemicals at low enough levels, and I found research actually showing this. Um, it's in my own book, Under the Veil of Deception, because they, some scientists were doing research. I can't remember the story now because it's been years, the entire story. But this was, I believe it was in Sweden or Switzerland, and they were testing the water in a lake. And they found that the water was full of medical drugs, all sorts of them. And so they thought, my God, why are all these medical drugs in the lake? Then what confused them is the drugs were in their active form. And they're like, the only way these drugs could get here is if people's sewage systems are dumping into the lake. So they started investigating all around this. You sure loads of people were, their sewage systems drained right into the lake. And of course, people are fishing out of the lake and swimming in the lake. But when a drug or a chemical like that goes through the human body, it's converted into what's called an inactive form of the molecule, but they were finding active. And one of the things they found in the water was um, uh, the um, oh, brain farting, the uh, drugs for lowering um, cholesterol. Uh, there's tons of these cholesterol lowering drugs in there. And, and they found high blood pressure medications. They found loads of stuff. And so when they continued their research, they found something quite marvelous. They found that the bacteria in the water was consuming the drug molecules, and when they excreted it, 
it had converted to the active form. So somehow the bacteria were actually doing a, a chemical recombination that was turning the drug into an active form. But the punchline is that every living creature in that lake was on the drugs that everybody around the lake was taking and pissing and shitting into the lake. So it, the, the, the point that I'm driving at is that I looked into research on this and discussions on this by scientists, and what they said is that what people don't realize is that low parts per billion, which many of these things are at, aren't actually safer because there's a certain threshold at which the immune system no longer recognizes the drug. And because it does, the, the body doesn't have any mechanism for identifying it, it actually makes it right into the cell and damages the DNA. And so that's where I came up with the term, the homeopathologic effect, because just like you can reduce the amount of any active molecule, but it energetically gets stronger, the water in the lake and the water in our bodies and the water in our food actually can diffuse these chemicals to levels that are low enough that the body doesn't even see them there, but the researchers showed that it does damage the DNA and there's no mechanism for us to, so we're flying blind at every level all the way to the cell, which is crazy. I'm curious, how did you go about doing all this research to write your book? So basically, like I do, I do have a decent amount of time on my hands. I only kind of train three days a week on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So basically, like on Tuesday, I would allocate Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday to studying. Mm -hmm. And uh, so basically, like per subject, I would, um, I would basically select like a handful of books mm -hmm. to learn about that specific subject. So in this case, kind of like beef production, we mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, then I would interview a couple of like leading people in that industry. So I interviewed uh, Carrie Balcom, which is the founder, one of the founders of American Grass-Fed Association about labeling claims, kind of the politics that goes into that. I also kind of volunteered at a grass-fed operation. So mm -hmm. at Five Bar uh, near my house, mm -hmm. it's a legit like 100%, like legit 100%. I know I said like earlier, there's trickery with the 100% label, mm -hmm. uh, grass-fed cattle operation where also he doesn't even clip his bulls which is uh which is also a rare practice and um and that's that's what i did for that i also worked on a uh volunteered on a biodynamic uh farm in laguna beach mm -hmm. and a legit like pasture raised uh hen operation for eggs in ramona so like Good. pretty close to here that's great so. so you got some right down in the dirt education. That's the way to go. You know, that's how I like to do things is get into the thick of it. Um, it's not common to hear in the media or read in books uh, on the issue of uh, feeding the people of the planet that we can't possibly, excuse me, it is common that they say we can't feed everybody through organic farming and they use that to justify commercial farming and they use that to justify uh, genetically modified organisms. Um, Having done a lot of research in this, what's your opinion on this issue? Yeah, so you do hear that often, and it's important for the audience to remember that factory farming relies heavily on external inputs, mm -hmm. where, for instance, the kind of farm I grew up on in Ukraine kind of like is self-sustaining for the most part. We did have some minor inputs uh, like imported hay or grain from time to time, depending on the season, like yeah. if it's very cold. But for the most part, it's like very self-sustaining. Yeah. And a good example of how, that, how well that system works is that when the Soviet Union did collapse, there was a tremendous amount of food shortage for a while in the cities. Mm. But we never experienced any food sh shortage whatsoever. 
Um, another, another aspect of in terms of like how sustainable it is, a lot of times people, especially, especially vegetarians tell me like, oh, all these fires and deforestation in the Amazon are happening for cattle operations, mm-hmm. like to set up like huge factory farms there. But in truth, actually, like a lot of that deforestation is happening to grow, uh, for the most part, genetically modified corn and soy, or and like cotton. other, yeah, or like other other grains commercial as well. products, yeah, exactly. And what are those commercial products for uh, used for? Uh, decent amount, maybe thirty percent of them. I don't know these exact numbers off the top of my head. Are used for factory farms, and then a huge bulk of them are actually used for ethanol production. Mm. So, in terms of like sustainability of the factory farm model, it's not a sustainable model, mm-hmm. and probably still like seventy percent of people worldwide still kind of produce food at a local level. So factory farming is predominantly kind of like more of a Western culture of food production practice. Mm-hmm. And having having talked about or having covered that subject, it's also important for the audience to remember that, for instance, when they do walk into a local grocery store, they do see like a wide variety of items. Mm-hmm. But it's important to know that all of those items, give or take, are produced by about like 10 to 15 different companies yes. in one way or another. Yeah. And there is like deep, deep consolidation in the food production system in the Western world in particular. Yeah. So basically how kind of modern farming or industrial farming works is it typically works through a vertically integrated system. Mm-hmm. And how that works is basically, uh, let's say I'm Tyson Foods and kind of like you're a, you're a poultry producer, a chicken farmer. And I come to you and I tell you, like, I have these $100 million slaughter facilities. I have the veterinarians. I have all the logistics, the transportation, the trucks. I even have the hatcheries and the patents for the genetically modified grain. And I have all the contracts with the grocery store. Like, literally, all I need you to do is just grow these specific chickens. I'm going to drop off about 100000 at the beginning of the month and four to six weeks later, I'm going to pick them up, but I need you to kind of grow them exactly to my standards. Right. So if I tell you, you need to give them these vaccines, you need to give them those vaccines. If yeah. I tell them you need to give them, give them these drugs or feed them a non-species specific yeah. diet, you're going to have to do that as well. So it's kind of tempting for the farmer because it kind of takes a lot of the responsibility yes. off of their hands. It does. Yeah. But what happens when they agree is then Tyson Foods, for instance, the, uh, there are two American guys that created the factory farm model, John and Don Tyson back in 1950. Uh, so what happens is they basically say, okay, so we're willing to do business with you, but the problem is, is your facility is too small and you're not going to be able to house these like 100,000 to 500,000 chickens we're going to give you every month. Mm-hmm. And we need you basically to take on a loan and build like a $500,000 facility, for example. Right. And they'll like, okay, so we know you're making like 50 to 60,000 a year or whatever, but that's okay because we already have this contract with the bank. And if you go to them, if we send you your way, they're going to give you the loan to kind of build that facility. And the problem with that is once that farmer takes on the loan, basically they're at the mercy of this huge corporation. In this example, Tyson Foods. It's basically they're prostituting. Yeah, exactly. And they have like nowhere to go. At this point, they have to, uh, they have to listen to the corporation and they have to listen to what their food production practices entail. So, because if they don't, there are basically like only maybe three or four big players in the whole entire country. And what happens if it doesn't work out with one of them is usually they kind of blacklist you. Yeah. So the problem with that, the problem with the consolidation, the vertically integrated system is now you just have like a handful of companies pretty much telling all of America 
what they're going to be able to eat. Yes. Because the bulk majority of them are still going to go to the supermarket, uh, kind of like no matter what you tell them yes. at the end of the day. Yeah. And um, I kind of lost my train of thought. Well, you were just, basically you were just describing the vertical integration and how um, the model isn't really set up for uh, diversity or to support the farmer. And what I wanted to add in there is that within that very model, and not just animal farming, but but uh, produce farming, uh, there, there's complete and utter destruction of the topsoil. It's monocropping. It sucks a lot of the key nutrients out of the soil. It throws the soil out of the balance, which causes the soil to grow weeds. Weeds are Mother Nature's soil alchemists. Um, the, without going into the science of weeds, basically the weeds that are produced are the ones that remineralize the soil. They're, they, they bring back what's missing. And so then the more weeds they grow, the more chemicals they spray. The more chemicals they spray, the more they kill the microorganisms. And pretty soon you've got uh, dead soil. And uh, you know my research showed that the average farming family destroys completely 7,000 acres of farmland in the life of the family. Now, this is like generational, but so we're, we have another issue and the other issue that's involved in all this is that many research papers I've looked at have tracked poisoning the water right back to factory farms and you can get this fertilized, all the feces and all the urine from these farms has destroyed North Carolina's water, a lot of South Carolina and a number of states where there's a lot of factory farms. But once that water gets down into underground streams and aquifers, it carries those toxins all over the place. And, and there's places where you just cannot drink the water because it'll, it'll make you really sick. And so people, um, I've seen many reports where people had wells and the well might be 35 to 200 feet deep and they had perfectly good water. They had it tested and 35 miles away, they started a new factory farm and within a certain given period of time, all of a sudden now they're getting sick drinking their own water and they test it and it's full of uh, farming chemicals because of the movement through the water table. So, and then that stuff gets picked up in the hydrological cycle and we're, you know, everybody's swapping chemicals, whether it be industrial manufacturing, whether it be farming, it doesn't matter. We're basically, uh, in the name of science, we are completely and utterly poisoning the whole of nature. And as I shared in my interview with Dave Murphy, etymologists begin to notice that there was a radical reduction in insect traffic all over the world. And they found that we were 50 to 75% reduced from what we were 50 years ago and said that the, you know, we may be facing Armageddon because the insects are really like the sex organs of the planet. And when you have a 50 to 75% reduction in insect traffic, it means nature is collapsing. And there's loads of other stuff. And I get into some of this with Dave Murphy, for those of you that want to get more into it. But, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And, and, and the sad part is, is, you know, a little book like yours and even my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy, I think we've sold about 180,000 copies. But I couldn't get a single publisher to publish that book. They said, if what you say in this book is true, then all the other authors are wrong. And if we publish this book, we'll have a coup on our hands. Well, I said, well, your other authors are wrong, and I can prove it to you. And I did, and I gave them all the research to back it. Uh, Sally Fallon showed through her own literature search and investigations that prior to, I think it was 89 or 90, for the previous 
20 years, not one single book had ever been published by a major publisher telling the benefits of saturated fats because that's a big coup too, a big scam to sell all the, you know, uh, hydrogenized, uh, hydro, when I'm brain farting on hydrogenated and, and the, you know, vegetable oils and all the commercial oils that they're selling, you know, that telling everyone these are oil Crisco's and, and, uh, you know, all the stuff they use to fry French fries and cook. And they want you to use all these damn toxic oils like rapeseed oil, canola, it's, rapeseed is canola oil. But, um, which by the way, isn't even a human crop as a side note. And so it's not regulated by the food industry. I found lots of research on that. Um, what do you think some of the biggest risk, risk factors are related to GMO foods? It seems like they're starting to be reduced now in the last 10 years. There's been so many violent reactions in certain countries. Uh, I think Italy and a couple of other countries have banned them completely. So what do you think some of the risk factors are of GMO foods and, and how prevalent are they in the food supply today? Yeah, so GMOs is another one of those kind of like tricky substances that made it into the entire food system in the U.S. pretty much. And what I always, what I always recommend to people that I give grocery store tours are it's, for the most part, the gold standard, if you do stick to the grocery store at avoiding GMO food, is seeing like the USDA organic label plus the non-GMO project verified go, label yeah. on the same exact uh, on the same exact on the same pack. label on, or the same, on the same package on the same on the same label on the same package just on the same product one label or uh, two labels there are two certification bodies oh, but okay. they're they're both typically like side by side okay so obviously like USDA organic means non-GMO as well mm. but that's also tricky because like for example with grains the US gets half of its grains from overseas, yeah, and particularly gets half a uh, decent amount of its grains from Turkey and Ukraine, mm -hmm. which are super super corrupt countries. <laughs> and like nothing against Ukraine or Turkey, like yeah. I'm from Ukraine, for instance, but just talking about facts here. Yeah, and what typically happens, and the Washington Post did a really good investigative study on this, is there's a decent amount of corruption at the broker level, and this is like a very very well known problem. Mm -hmm. And basically, what happens is like the Ukrainian farmer will grow the crop conventionally with a lot of chemicals, for example. And then at the broker level, the guy at the shipyard will just change around some paperwork and it'll be imported as organic into the U.S. Oh my God. So sometimes, a lot of times going back to our beef conversation, the person will go like, oh, but it says like USDA organic on the label. Mm -hmm. And they immediately kind of, once again, perceive that small family farm. But really what USDA organic in terms of meat production means is basically it's factory farmed meat but with just organic grains right. versus, uh, versus non-organic or conventionally farmed mm -hmm. grains. But at this point, it's even questionable even if it is organic grains. Right, yeah. And it's also important for the audience to know that even if, uh, like if it's not fed as species-specific diets, in this case we're talking about cattle, and they're not finished genuinely on grass, mm -hmm. a grain is still a grain. Mm -hmm. So th it creates that problem with the, uh, the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. Mm -hmm. So touching on that, like one thing I would recommend is for people to see those two labels on the package, but then on top of that, try to stay away from foods uh, that have corn, soy, and canola for the most part. Yes. If, yeah. And I was just going to say, because some people may not know what GMO, it's genetically modified organism, which means it's not something that was produced by nature. It's been yep. produced in a laboratory. Yep. Through Wh transgenesis. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very potentially dangerous. I looked into mountains of research on this. Now, this is when I was writing How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. So that was around 
2000 to 2004. So it's been a while now, but even then I found all sorts of scientific papers, a lot of them from places like Russia and foreign countries where they had done research and they didn't, I remember one particular study, they did a lot of research on rats and they showed that when they fed rats genetically modified foods, that they had all sorts of problems with organ malformation, bodily malformation, um, things like colons that were three times bigger than they should be. Um, organs that didn't form, um, you know, wild stuff that was very bad news. But the uh, large corporations did their very best to bury all this stuff and get rid of all these guys as quickly as they could so that the research wouldn't get out, which is one of the reasons I couldn't find much anywhere in the United States. I had to actually get a librarian to do a worldwide literature search, and I found almost all of this stuff. Some of these articles, um, I had to get people to um, look for translation programs and things like that because they weren't in English. Um, or I had to find somebody that could read. I think I remember I found one that was in, in Russian, and I had to get someone that could read it and tell me what it was saying. But the more I looked into it, the more shocking it was and the more disappointed I was and frustrated and saddened I was because man I mean talk about talk about evil yeah that's one of the biggest problems I ran into as well and I've noticed like a lot of these companies they claim like for instance with the genetically modified seed to the patent office Monsanto would claim that it's completely different and new thus being able to be granted like a utility patent on it yeah but then to the general public they say like oh it's the same exact thing as like another, uh, the other food group, like for instance, the genetically modified corn is the same exact thing as just uh, natural corn. Right. So a lot of times, like what people need to understand too, is a lot of these companies, they do, once again, like we mentioned earlier, in-house testing. And then to make matters worse, they actually never release these kind of safety testing. They never yeah. release their studies that prove, according to them, it's like 100% safe and everything is okay, which is a little bit questionable to me because like, for instance, if you like, graduated from harvard or stanford like why wouldn't you put that on your resume yeah you know what i mean so typically it's like something you want to brag about if it is truly safe because what a great invention i mean you created something super cool and it's safe so why not share that with the public and typically when it is released because of a disgruntled employee or some kind of lawsuit most of the time these studies do prove to be comical like at best yeah kind of like wishy-washy no really long-term yeah uh, studies to show the safety uh safety of the of the genetically modified crop that that they're releasing into the public. Yeah, I've got a friend who's an agent for the FDA, and he has personally shared with me that there's many instances where they've busted medical doctors in science for doing research that was never done. They write up fake studies, but they end up in medical journals and food journals as though they're actually real studies, but they do investigate some of these, and they've found... Uh, uh, many cases where it was all manufactured and arrested guys for doing this stuff, but they're all on the payrolls of major corporations. They know exactly what's going on. They know, you know, the, doc doc the doctors and the scientists are taking a risk for money. But that's what I mean when I say evil. When you have no concern for other people's well-being and only for a paycheck, then you're really um, a force of of division and a force of illness and a force of confusion and lies and separation. That's, that's evil. Uh, you know, unfortunately. 
Um, yeah, and really quick, like another troubling thing, like sometimes people will dispute like, oh, genetic modification isn't that bad or anything. But one thing I would recommend to kind of pay attention to is the chemicals typically used to grow that genetically modified crop. So oftentimes the, the crop is genetically modified to resist a certain chemical in the production cycle. So a uh, popular one these days is Roundup Ready. Yeah. So you can definitely look up a lot of studies on glyphosate and there's like no denying that it is harmful to your health in a wide variety of ways. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. just touching on that subject. So Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're eating plants that manufacture a pesticide in the plant, <laughs> there's no washing that out. There's no peeling that out. There's no cooking that out. It's woven into the fabric of the plant. And you know, this is one of the reasons that I've I've become very suspicious of science because science has lost its morals. And many scientists believe that moral morality isn't in the territory of science. And an example of that is that, you know, when I looked into the research on microwave ovens and what I saw was shocking. And I found, for example, that when the Russians uh, confiscated German tanks, they found that some of these tanks had what turned out to be microwave ovens. But when they tested them, they found they were extremely unsafe and that they, they, they put a uh, uh, they said they were unsafe for you know a large number of meters, which means you couldn't even be in the tank. And um, I looked at the research of Hans Hertel, who sh who did research and showed that anytime anyone ate anything out of a microwave oven, that their white blood cell count went up through the roof, which means their body was attacking the food. And the uh, Swedish government put a gag order on him, said if you publish that research, we'll put you in jail. And he basically they did put him in jail, and he and he ended up getting out but he published it anyhow because he felt so concerned for human beings and and uh you know without turning this into a microwave oven discussion the point that i'm really making is you can't produce things like nuclear weapons and chemicals and all the kinds of technologies we're talking about and 5g phone systems and like the world is full of this shit but it tracks back to corporations and scientists who claim amorality their th they, their idea is oh we just make the invention what you do with it is up to you yeah but when you mislead people and you mislabel things and you work for corporations that are doing that and you know the truth and you know that the research isn't telling the truth you can't separate yourself from the moral responsibilities of that and every that's you know that's where we get whistleblowers from there's a book called Beating the Food Giants. It's an old book. It was written by a guy named Paul A. Stitt. And he talked about when he worked for Quaker, I think it was Quaker Oats, and they were doing feeding tests with rats. And they found that when they were feeding, I can't remember which cereal it was that Quaker made, but the rats all died on it. They starved to death, no matter how much they ate, because there was no nutrition in it. And so, and he found this by accident looking through the Quaker Oats library for other research and he came across these feeding studies they'd done with this and he was so shocked he had a meeting with the president of the company and you know what the president said to him? Oh well, people, they seem to eat it as fast as we can make it so if they want it, we'll feed it to them and that was his way of handling that and and so that's what the kind those kinds of things ultimately led him to writing the book Beating the Food Giants, which just, you know, gives you a look inside the food industry and it ain't pretty at all. So Eugene, very interesting stuff and hopefully 
people are waking up. I know a lot of my students will be fairly familiar, but even so, it's nice to hear of your current research and all the things you're finding because it just reinforces what the whole Czech Institute's all about. Um, uh, before we leave the GMO thing, my research said that the most dangerous food source there is for genetically modified foods is spices, that the there's more GMO foods and spices. So if a person wants to, uh, if they're really tight on their budget and they're using spices, they should go certified organic to avoid the genetically modified organisms. Um, most people, particularly parents, complain about the cost of organic food. You have a chapter in your book titled, Is Organic More Expensive? Can you share your findings in this regard? Yeah, so for that question, I'll have to break it up into two different topics. So one, I kind of went to Sprouts Farmer's Market, which is kind of like a little bit of a higher-end organic mm -hmm. uh, supermarket in the Orange County area. And they sell like a decent amount of organic, and they also sell a lot of factory-farmed food. So what I did was I standardized a 2,000-calorie diet, 2,000-calorie supermarket-level organic diet and a 2,000-calorie factory-farmed organic diet at the same location. Mm -hmm. And basically what ended up happening was for a factory-farm diet for 2,000 calories, it cost about $7.77 per day. Mm -hmm. And for a 2,000-calorie supermarket-level organic diet, it came out to about $12.12 .12 per day. So someone will say there is like a five $5 difference, mm -hmm. you know? But for my observation is people that typically eat a factory farmed diet also tend to eat out a lot more. Mm -hmm. So their overall bill for their food is actually like a lot higher than that from a person that tends to shop a lot more organic. Right. Also kind of tying back a little bit, I kind of spaced out a little bit on the vertically, integration, uh, vertically integrated farming system. One of the reasons uh, the factory farmed food is able to be sold for a little bit of a lower price than supermarket level organic is the fact, for instance, like if that contract farmer goes out of business, basically the bank is able to get the difference of that loan they're not able to pay back from the taxpayer. Oh, So nice. it's actually subsidized by the taxpayer. So typically what will happen is uh, the corporation will buy out that farm and that's how the consolidation happened because it's yeah. no loss to the corporation. It's no loss to the bank because the bank will collect interest on their loan while the farmer is in business. And if they go out of business, they'll basically sell everything the farmer has, yes. throw them on the street, yep. and then collect the difference from the taxpayer. Yep. And another big problem is in a grain-fed op grain operation, so a factory farm operation is heavily reliant on grains, the the bulk of the expenses for the farmer is the feed to the animal. Yes. That usually composes about like 70% of the total cost of the operation. Mm -hmm. And even that grain is also subsidized by the taxpayer. Right. So when you go into the supermarket and you see that factory farmed uh, beef, for instance, that pound of factory farmed beef for about like $3 yeah. a pound, it's really, you got to kind of like add another $2 to that if yes. you count all the subsidies and the tax bailouts that this system kind of relies on Yes, uh, to be able to operate. And without those, the profit margins wouldn't be there and the system wouldn't really be able to exist to begin with, or right. it'd be like even smaller profit margins even yeah. at that. So, and then at that point, if it's like already about the cost of supermarket level organic, it's just pay like an extra 50 cents or a dollar more and you get like organic meat. Yeah. So in terms of like whether it is like a lot more expensive, I would have to say 
it's not, it's, it is like $5 more, at least at the supermarket level. But then like, look at how much one like McDonald's meal is. It's like 10 bucks mm -hmm. or like 12 bucks for the whole entire meal. And that's pretty much your day's worth of organic food, at least at yep. the supermarket. And although the USDA organic label does have some holes and gaps in it, I, I do feel at the supermarket, it's still the best bet for it people is. to avoid biocide or pesticide exposure mm -hmm. in their food. And I think like in my book, especially, I don't have a person transition automatically from factory farm food to buying from like a well-sourced local farmer that's kind of hidden in the middle of nowhere because mm -hmm. that step is too great for a lot of people. So yes, what I yeah. try to do is basically kind of what I did for myself. Mm. I was at first like 100% conventionally farmed. And then I went like a few months, 10% supermarket level organic, 90%. And then a few months later, 50, 50. And then like a year later, I was shopping just supermarket lover organic. And then now I'm kind of sourcing more from local farmers, 50%. And then 50% of it I get from the supermarket still, but I always shop organic at the mm -hmm. supermarket. And I know like I've been kind of like uh, listing a lot of problems with the food system, but I also want to list some like very convenient solutions for a person that mm -hmm. can take action. So a person can visit a really good website called eatwild.com. Mm -hmm. They have an interactive map on there. And basically you can click on your state and it'll give you like the exact locations of pasture-raised operate, like legit 100% pasture-raised operations in your local area. Mm -hmm. Organic? Yep, organic. And also like the bulk, at least the ones I checked, the bulk majority of them do home delivery as well. So it provides that convenience factor. And typically they deliver within like two days. That's fantastic. Yep. And then also in regards to our beef topic, since we covered that earlier, a great website is um, American Grass-Fed Association. Mm -hmm. so I've they, heard of that one, yeah. Yeah, they can go. That's probably, in my opinion, the really only credible uh, grass-fed certification body out there, at least in the U.S. They also, sort of, they also recently started certifying pork as well. Don't know too much about that, but a person can kind of scroll down to the bottom of their website, click on that interactive map, and it'll show you the kind of distributors in your local area. And they're like all over the place. Yeah, good. Uh, surprisingly, like the factory farm model hasn't put every single small farmer out of business. Yes. So you'll see a bunch of locations in your area. And then you can kind of click on the icon, go to the website. The people are always very friendly if you call them. They're always like very happy to talk to you about their food production practices. And most are welcoming you to the farm as well. Yes. And that's like a, that's a great sign. As well, so. Did you notice any changes in your own health and vitality as you got more and more organic in your own diet? You know, to tell you the truth, I did experience, uh, I had like an episode of like some minor gut issues maybe like two years ago. Uh, I did actually change my diet around a little bit, uh, a little bit as well. So I don't know if it was because of certain food mm -hmm. groups. So I didn't notice like a dramatic increase in my uh, in my health and vitality from changing to organic, just to be honest. Well, yeah, that's fine. Uh, it, th what that says to me is you, because you were raised on a farm, it, it means that you are tapping into your biological reserves. And oftentimes people that come from a healthy upbringing like that have enough resources on board. Kind of like th the way to think about this is when a woman gets pregnant, she can be, seem very healthy, but all of a sudden when she has to start extracting nutrients from her body to make a baby, if she's already close to critically low levels, all of a sudden she starts having all sorts of health problems that she never had before she got pregnant. Because now that the fetus is in there, the body selects to take whatever it has to take out of the mother to put into the fetus. And all of a sudden you see a lot of sick mothers. So you may just be fortunate coming from the Ukraine, coming from a biodynamic farm, 
that your bones and your fat and your organs have have enough resources in them that you didn't find the edge of yourself. Having switched thousands of people to organic food, I've seen radical changes in their health and their vitality and fungal infections, parasite infections, chronic health problems, skin problems, joint problems, arthritic problems, uh, clearing up like magic. That was one of the first things I really noticed in my clinical practice. And I actually found, strangely enough, that diet was more effective than manual therapy, particularly where there was any kind of chronic inflammatory problems. And so that was in the 80s when I started doing that research and it shifted me into a very serious research into food because I'm like, wow, you know, at the time I was using nutraceuticals. I'd been studying, uh, uh, you know, Jeffrey Bland and Metagenics and using nutraceuticals. And so it was basically the same health appraisal questionnaire I I share with you guys in Holistic Lifestyle Coach Training but it's been updated since then, but it was still pretty much the same thing. And I was using that in the late eighties. And so the way that system works is whatever somebody scores a high, a high score on, they have nutraceuticals that you use to balance it. Well, I wasn't seeing any scores coming down. I wasn't seeing tissue change. I wasn't seeing inflammation change. I wasn't seeing recovery rates from exercise change. But when I switched people to organic food and started doing metabolic type testing on them so that we knew what ratios of foods they should eat and teaching them how to fine-tune their diet and coupling that with organic food, man, the stuff that I saw happening to people blew my mind. And, and as a skilled manual therapist and massage therapist, I could feel the difference in their muscles, their joints, their tissues. Um, you know, when people's bodies are backed up, For example, if you do massage on them, you'll feel that what feels like sand is coming out of the pores of their skin, and it's all this metabolic waste that's been trapped in the skin, which is an organ of detoxification, as you know. And so I would, at first I was like, what is all this shit coming out of people's bodies? And I did research and found out it's toxins in the body that the body just isn't able to effectively liberate a lot of it because people are dehydrated. But when I had people usually by about a month on an organic diet and eating right for their metabolic type, I noticed that that was all gone. And, uh, you know, things like rotator cuff injuries, chronic musculoskeletal injuries that had been some of these people and athletes that had for nagging them for years just disappeared within the span of as, as little as two or three weeks, sometimes a month. So I was blown away by that. The other thing is I've done a lot of research into studies comparing organic to commercial food. And a lot of the studies are animal studies. And these go all the way back to the 40s, Lady Eve Balfour in her book, um, The the Holly Experiment in the Living Soil. And Lady Eve Balfour is actually the person who really was responsible for starting the concept of organic farming. She really pioneered that concept in the 40s. And um, they did a lot of studies with animals and they would give them commercially farmed versus organic food. And they studied cows and they would do things like put cows in a pasture that was uh, maybe where they used commercial fertilizers and some chemicals. And then right next to it would be an organic pasture. And they found that the cows would almost kill themselves trying to eat through the fence to get to the organic food before they would touch any of the food on the field that they were on. They did feeding studies with sheep, with pigs, with cows. They would give them three different grades of food from the lowest quality commercial raised garbage to certified organic or high quality organic food. 
and they found in every single case the animal would eat all the highest quality food first, then it would eat the second level, and only when they had no choice would they eat the lower quality. But what was interesting is they consistently found that the animals ate 30% less food, no matter what the species was when it was all organic, than they did when they were eating the commercial or the chemically laden foods. And really what the researchers concluded was that the density of nutrition is triggering, triggering their satiety centers in the brain, and it's the same with human beings. And I've also found books talking about these types of studies with human beings, and again, they found about 30%. They found that when people eat certified organic food, because the nutrient density is so high that the brain, the satiety centers in the brain are activated and the person doesn't have the urge to eat so much food because the body's got what it needs. Yeah, that is actually one, come to think of it, that is actually one thing that I have noticed. Um, so first of all, like I never ate like fast food or processed food or was never into energy drinks or like soda or any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. The worst I would buy is just like the factory farm stuff, like at Costco, for instance, yeah. for a long time. So I never really had a bad diet, like a terrible diet to begin yeah. with. And I did notice kind of like for a long time, I was into bodybuilding and trying to gain weight. And I did notice kind of like leaning away more towards organic. It actually became tough to eat the amount of calories like I needed on a daily yes. basis because it was just like so much more filling. Yes. I did notice, I did notice like a huge difference in that. Also, like I never really had, although like I've had many years of intense training, I haven't had any like serious injuries. Mm -hmm. So it could be also, that could also be uh, contributing to like a healthier body, but. Yes. Well, one of the things that Lady Eve Balfour highlighted um, in her book uh, is one of the doctors who was in charge of a private school in New Zealand that really, really was all about their rugby, which <laughs> New Zealanders and Australians are, and Brits, um, that the doctor, uh, this school decided that they were spending so much money on food. It was a private school they decided that they could take the same amount of money invested in an organic farm. So they bought the land and they started their own farm just for the school. And within one year, the school doctor noticed that the amount of injuries on the, amongst the rugby players was a fraction of what it used to be. And that he found that the key thing is that their connective tissues were much stronger, that joints could take a lot more stress and that the tendons and the joint capsules weren't breaking down. And he clearly track that to the switch from commercial to organic food. So, you know, your connective tissues, as the, as I often say, um, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. Meaning if you're eating garbage food, you can't make something good out of it. And, and having worked with, you know, umpteen thousands of athletes, I've noticed a direct correlation between the health of their joints, the health of their ligaments, how strong they are, how easily they get injured and how quickly they recover and how their diets are. And I've been in surgery many times where surgeons, like I would, whenever my patients needed surgery, I would go with them. And I've had many cases where the doctors would be like cutting through the ankle because they had a, a fractured bone or cartilage and they'd have to open it up. And they would make comments like, wow, the ligaments on this guy is, are super strong. I mean, I've actually seen surgeons say that they had to replace their blades because they couldn't even cut through the ligaments on healthy athletes, but they would tell me most people, you can cut right through those ligaments, no problem on a typical person. 
So I was actually getting confirmation from the surgeons because I knew who I was bringing in there. I knew what their diet was. I knew what their exercise routines was. And so when they would make these comments, they didn't know what the athlete was up to like I did, but I did. So I was actually able to confirm that the diet that the athletes were on, if they'd been on it long enough for their cells to regenerate, you know, say a year, that when they ended up having to go to surgery, the doctors noticed the differences in their tissues right away because they're cutting through tissue all day. You know, it'd be like if you were a sculptor and I brought you really shitty clay, you'd notice it right away. But if I brought you really good clay that had real good adhesion to it and had body to it, you'd notice that right away. You know, yeah. Yeah, and really quick, kind of touching on kind of like outsourcing your food to like a small local farmer. Mm -hmm. There's kind of like a little bit of flexibility in that area as well. So a lot of times... Uh, like for instance, if you run into a local small farmer, that doesn't necessarily mean their levels of integrity is great. It just means they're kind of like a local small farmer and it's good that they're supplying money in that, e in that, uh, kind of like local ecosystem, but you have to also like evaluate their production oh, practices yeah. as well. Yeah. So for instance, there's like a, I'm not going to name the name, but there's a very popular kind of like pasture raised operation that markets on Facebook a tremendous amount. And they do genuinely raise their animals on pasture, which is like a great step in the right direction. But then when I gave them a call, they supplement heavily with non-organic grains. No. Oh. So you have to kind of like, you have to ask the questions, like even like in poultry, for instance, let's say you're looking for, like for the longest time, like I started this journey just because I wanted healthy eggs. Yes. And that proved to be like extremely hard to find, especially mm -hmm. with all the labeling in that category, you got the caged cage-free, which is useless, free-range, which is useless, and pasture-raised could be great, but could be useless as well. So yeah. useless in the sense that, like, for instance, if I go to a local small farmer and they have, like, one acre of room and their chickens do actually genuinely roam on pasture, but because for one reason or another it could be short of labor, it could be that they don't have the land, they don't rotate their chickens onto fresh pasture constantly right. and daily. Mm -hmm. So they have to rely on a lot of inputs. Yes. And typically they rely on a lot of grains in mm -hmm. that case. And yeah. if you don't know the right questions to ask, they can simply be feeding them genetically modified right. corn and soy, for example, mm -hmm. which is very, very, very common to do. Mm -hmm. And then you're getting kind of like the same, because for instance, a chicken is an omnivore, they should be eating bugs insects they could be yeah. no doubt supplemented with grains as well but it shouldn't be like all of their diet yeah because when it is all of their diet especially when you see like at the supermarket that vegetarian fed phrase yeah which is actually not a good thing what that means is basically grain fed when you see vegetarians because chickens aren't vegetarians they're omnivores right but then obviously the agricultural industry they know the average american associates vegetarians with being very healthy so they're like, let's put that phrase on the packaging and they'll think this chicken is very healthy and thus it's going to yeah. be healthy to eat. Yeah. But in reality, when they're kind of fed heavy amounts of grains, when they're vegetarian fed, it once again ruins that natural omega-3 to omega-6 ratio. Yeah. And then in that small farmer example, if they're fed those unconventionally uh, farmed grains, then you're getting that pesticide residue into the meat, the fat, the organ content of the chicken, and then you're going to be eating that as well. Yeah, one of the things too, a lot of people listening may not know the importance of the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, but to put that simply, omega-6s are pro-inflammatory. So what happens is the, the, the less the quality of the farming and the more abnormal the diet is for the animal, the higher the omega-6 goes because grains bring the omega-6 ratio up. So what happens is you're eating foods that are pro-inflammatory. And I've had uh, cases, many of them actually, where people are on an antifungal diet, which is no, you know, no 
car- minimal carbohydrates, nothing, uh, no root vegetables, nothing, no sweets. It is, you know, it's, it's a, a restrictive diet, but it's not a calorie restrictive diet. But I've had people come back to me totally confused and say, Paul, I am eating exactly based on the antifungal diet you gave me. But I notice every time I eat this chicken, my fungal infection goes crazy. Or I eat this beef, my you know, it's because you're eating animals that were fed grains and the grains are feeding your fungal infection. And the other thing too is that people don't know. When I researched this, I found that there's there's very strict standards for how much mycotoxins or fungal toxins can be in grains that are used for food crops for human beings. But what they do with the billions and billions of bushels and, and uh, amounts of these grains that don't make the cut is they use them for feeding cattle and other animals. So what's a lot of the grains that are used to feed feedlot animals are actually dangerously high in fungal infections, and they spray some of these grains as much as 10 times in the warehouses because the bugs come at them in the warehouse. So a lot of these, uh, the feed that they're feeding the animals that you're referring to is actually extremely toxic for human beings, let alone the animals, which is, again, what makes the animals fat and sick and makes human beings fat and sick. And Um, I wrote a little note where you were talking there. One of the things people don't consider when they're comparing the price of, of, uh, shall we say, the cheap commercially farmed food versus organic is the medical costs that they're spending. I mean, last time I looked, it was like $7,600 a year was the average person's medical expenses. Well, shit, that's a freaking lot of food. And on top of that, they might not even become healthy, even with all those expenses. Doesn't mean you're cured no, from whatever, no, whatever just, you're it, suffering from. It, the, the, the medical system's not really a curative system. It's a disease maintenance system. It's a revolving door system. And most of those drugs and medicines are not addressing the etiology, or they would have holistic lifestyle coaching pr- programs in their hospitals. They're symptom modification. They're just de- repressing symptoms. They're pushing the pain and the symptoms down, but it doesn't address the actual cause of the problem at all. Yeah, and kind of like I heard this from one of your faculty members, and he told me, uh, like, basically, like a child will understand how to solve this problem, but an adult would not. And that's in the sense that, like, if a child has a rock stuck inside their shoe, they'll simply take out their shoe, right. throw the rock out, put the shoe on, and then continue to walk in a comfortable manner, where, like, a grown, educated adult will just take painkillers and continue yeah. to walk with that rock inside their shoe. Very much. And so. I think that's kind of like the general summary of the approach to health of Western society in general and and the kind of pharmaceutical industry and how they kind of work hand in hand. And also like the pharmaceutical industry works hand in hand with the agricultural industry, like 90% of antibiotics sold are sold to factory farms. So it's kind of like one good loop of like making money for like a decent amount. Yeah. One one hand's feeding the other. Yep, exactly. And it's, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's quite a, a, a little, conundrum we've got going on but what you're talking about about not removing the rock point blank that's the product of brainwashing that's what happens when you program people so heavily that they lose touch with reality lose touch with them their body they don't take care of themselves they think all their problems are are things that need to be addressed through drugs and surgery and doctors that don't engage themselves and they oftentimes 
don't even believe people like me and you because who are we? We're not scientists. We're not medical doctors. And that's part of the brainwashing too. So, you know, we've really got this, this, you know, this has been going on for a good hundred years and there's been billions and billions and trillions of dollars actually spent to condition people to think and behave this way. Um, you know, and so at the end of the day, you know, I tell people, look, how much pain do you need to get in? How many surgeries do you need to have? How shitty does your life have to get? I mean, look at all the impotence we have amongst men in vitro fertilization is going through the roof because people don't realize that they're not healthy enough. And by the, by the dictates of nature, if you're not healthy enough to produce healthy life, mother nature won't support it. So you, you, you would have an abortion in nature. But what we have now is all these men with very low sperm counts, women that can't get pregnant, so they go to an in vitro fertilization clinic and try to trick the system, and lo and behold, we've got the highest rate ever, according to the research I did last, of uh, children being born with diseases of all kinds. I mean, we've got kids being born with clogged arteries, you know, right out of the womb. I mean, uh, the, the shit that goes on, I mean, since... You know, when Angie got pregnant with Mana, he's heading for four now. She started researching all this stuff and taking courses from midwives and, and read tons of books on vaccination and feeding children. And it is just mind-boggling, the crap that they encourage women to, to do and all the programming for pregnant mothers and deception out there. And, and, and it, it's at every level. It's, it's just, you know, but the, the beauty of it is is that you don't need to go to a church or a temple to find your spiritual quest. The spiritual quest is the quest for wholeness and connection. And when you get to the point where you realize that doctors and therapists and uh, all these nutrition experts aren't really helping you, then you're actually in a situation where you, you just become a victim to the system and keep going to see doctors and taking drugs and numbing yourself until you get cancer and die, or you say, I've got to do exactly what you do and what you did and what I did. You start looking into it for yourself. You find people that are telling you the truth. You find people that are healthy. I tell people, look, don't go see sick doctors and sick therapists to get help because they don't know how to get healthy and therefore how, how can they teach you to have more health than they do? So when you put all this together and you look at the cost of the medical expenses, you look at the, uh, the lack of nutrition in the food, in my opinion, organic's actually not only less expensive in the long run, but when you look at the destruction to the soil, you look at the tax, um, the tax subsidies. subsidies, and it's coming out of your wallet. There is no, there's no contest when you, when you look at it holistically. In fact, if if we don't get our shit together and start working together publicly to turn this around and, and make our voices heard. And as I tell people all the time, you're never going to do this through the political system. The only way you're going to do it is to starve these large corporations out, which means you vote with your money. That's the only real vote that counts anymore. My God, look, we've got, we managed somehow to get Donald Trump into the presidency, which to me sends a very serious warning to the level of confusion in the world and how, uh, you know, a man that went bankrupt multiple times and is is uh, highly suspicious of his <laughs> crooked behavior becomes the president um you know my only point is that's just a classic symptom of the dysfunction then i you know i talked about the documentary on hoxie's life and he 
started digging into the AMA, realizing he was have to go into lawsuit, and he found that the chief of the American Medical Association failed medical school and wasn't even licensed to be a doctor, yet he was in charge of the entire AMA at that time. At least he's very ambitious. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, the the thing is, is if you want to be healthy, you have to have healthy ambition. And that's what my podcast is really all about, is doing my best at every level to bring people to the table that have legitimate knowledge and have gone through their own trail of tears, their own healing crisis. And uh, I remember I interviewed Chris Kresser, and he was a classic example of, of the, what I call the wounded healer. The wounded healer is the doctor that had to heal himself and realized how many other people need that kind of help and therefore became a doctor. I've got a book called Dr. Bernstein's Diabetic Solution in my library, and this is a guy who was a diabetic but kept getting worse and worse and the, found that the medical system's advice was terrible. So he did all his own research and found out that almost everything they were telling you was completely the opposite and that you needed a higher fat diet and a higher protein diet and not all the carbohydrates. And he realized nobody would listen to him or take him seriously. So when he was something like 44 years of age, he enrolled into medical school and got his MD just so that when he published his book, it would have the credibility of an MD. That's commitment. Yeah. And to kind of reinforce at the point you're getting at, I guess one of the biggest obstacles for people to overcome is the fact that like in America or pretty much like I've traveled to many countries in the world, like oftentimes like anywhere you step out outside, like nine out of 10 people are full of like obesity and disease, like full of mental and physical pain. So the reference point to what healthy is has actually lowered a tremendous amount. Totally. Because I I get a lot of people that come up to me in the grocery store tours and they're like, man, I've been eating this, this factory farm food my whole entire life. And I'm like completely fine. Meanwhile, they're like 30% body fat. They have all sorts of joint pain. They're on like three different medications. So that tells me like this person kind of has lost the conscious awareness of what health and wellness really is. I'll tell you a story to highlight that. One time I was going through the airport. I believe I was, uh, where was I? I was in, I was coming into the No, I was going out of the United States. Anyhow, I was at a U.S. airport somewhere uh, on the East Coast, if I remember right. But I was carrying with me some beautiful organic food. I can't remember if it was sausages or pate that Penny had gotten for me, um, custom, custom made because they use gluten as fillers in a lot of these things. So she went, spent 150 bucks to get me enough food to carry us home on a long journey. And I figured I would just eat the rest of it when I got home. And the lady that was doing the screening, you know, when your bags go through the, the x-ray machine, the, their little fancy color x-ray. And so she flags my bag, pulls it out, makes me take it out. And then of course it's my food. And she takes my organic meat and she says, you can't have that. I said, that's freaking meat. There's, there's no, there's no risk of that. Oh no, the water content's too high. It could be an explosive. I said, oh, that's such bullshit here. I'll eat it. (laughs) She said, no, you're not allowed to eat it. I said, well, why don't you take it home and eat it? It's, it's, that cost me 150 bucks what you're holding in your hands. And she said, well, I would never eat shit like that. She goes, this is just a big scam. I said, you're telling me that certified organic food from an organic butcher is, a scam. And she said, 
I don't believe in any of that. Well, this woman was about five foot four and about 300 pounds. And she, by this point, had me quite frustrated because now I was going to have to fast my way home. And I looked and I said, really? I said, have you looked in a mirror yet? (laughs) I said, have you honestly looked at your body? And she just looked at me and went silent. And she said, get out of here before you get yourself in a lot of trouble. (laughs) I'm like... But the point I'm making is here's a person who's telling me that I'm a fanatic and that I'm crazy and that doesn't make any difference. I'm as fit as a fiddle, probably 10 years older than her, but she looked like she was a lot older than me. And she was obese and a sick looking woman with, with rosacea and skin conditions all over her face. And I'm like, this, that's what the world's gotten to. And it's, it's, you know, when you look at the very people that say they can't afford organic food, how much they're spending on garbage like Starbucks and yep. silliness and video games and just crap. Yeah. And in terms of that $5 difference I mentioned earlier, you know, factory farm food costing $7 and 70 cents a day, yeah. and then supermarket level organic costing $12. But then those people will go to Starbucks and buy a cheap $5 cup of coffee every single day. And that's already your 12 bucks. You can just be buying Easy. like organic food every single day. Yes. And yeah, to reinforce the point you just mentioned, I interviewed a few registered dietitians and surprisingly like two of them were like, look, I couldn't find any evidence to suggest that like organic food is any different than factory farm food. And they would argue that point to like to the death with me. That's crazy. Well, you know, the thing is, is you can't find anything if you don't know where to look. And their idea of finding, well, I would have asked them, how did you research that? Where do you look? And I could have loaded them up with a pile of resources, one of the most potent for, for uh, studies on food quality and soil relationships is the British Soil Association. They have fantastic resources in there. So does the Weston A. Price Association. Uh, so does the Price Pottinger Foundation. Um this, you know, uh, we're probably going to need to shut it down here pretty quick just because it's getting late, but I really would love to talk to you about this whole supplement thing because that's one of my pet peeves. There's billions, if not mega billions of dollars being made every year off of supplements. Most people don't realize that the grand majority of these supplements are produced from non-organic and GMO sources. Can you share what your findings are in regard to supplements? I know you have a section on that in your book. Yep. And that is true. So uh, one of the most common ones is like probably everyone has had a vitamin C supplement in their life. Yeah. So oftentimes the labeling deception is there as well. You see a picture of an orange kind of out in nature. So the average consumer would think like, okay, so this is kind of like an orange concentrate and I'm getting vitamin C from like an orange picked from a tree. But in reality, if you kind of look at the back of the label, you see like ascorbic acid. Mm-hmm. And if you don't see like a USDA organic or preferably like a USDA organic and non-GMO project verified certification on that same label, that ascorbic acid comes from where? Like genetically modified corn. Yes. So, uh, or a laboratory. Synthetic. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's important to consider. I mean, if people really want to avoid GMOs in their supplement, I would recommend once again, just like we mentioned with the whole food, you want to see the non-GMO project verified plus the USDA organic label on the same exact seal. Yeah. On top of that, preferably, like I would also like to see that they're produced in a GMP certified facility and they get their raw ingredients that are also are produced in a GMP certified facility. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, uh, hopefully they also do in-house testing on batches of raw ingredients that come in, or even better if they do third-party testing. So like a good third-party testing label to look for is 
NSF for sport, that's a very good one, mm-hmm. or Banned Substance Control. Mm-hmm. I think Banned Substance Control Group, I forgot exactly. That's another great label to look for. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best websites I would recommend is if a person is questioning a specific supplement they're taking is to go to cleanlabelproject.org. Mm. And that is actually like a really great website. They basically take very popular supplements and they send it to three independent uh, kind of tox- or, uh, testing facilities. Yes. And then they set up like a report card. You know how many heavy metals are in this right. compound? How many industrial, uh, industrial chemicals? You know, how much are they shorting like the protein or other micronutrients that they're advertising on the label? Yes. Because another very big common problem in the supplement industry is lack of regulation. Yeah. And most of the time, just business as usual, this is common business practice, is they kind of short the raw, is they short the ingredients that they list on the label. Yes. So they'll purposely put like 10% of whatever they list and they're like, well, that's, no one's going to check anyway. And most right. likely the FDA is so busy doing other things yes. that probably no one is going to check, you know, unless like they unluckily get, get picked by by the clean label project, and then they do some third-party testing. Or somebody does their own research, sends them in, and then blows the whistle on them. I read an article that said less than 1% of all supplements and all food ever gets evaluated. Yeah, that I don't know the exact percentage, but that sounds like pretty similar to what I've been reading as well. Yeah, so. which is pretty shocking when you consider the, the risk factors involved. You know, wh- one of the things that People don't realize, and I've been telling all my students this, and and I've probably said it in podcasts, I'm going to say it again. People take supplements because they think that they need supplements to compensate for what's missing in the food. Well, if you keep eating commercial food and you're eating commercial supplements, that's like um, taking poison to combat poison. It's not going to work very well. The other thing is, you, as we've discussed, you cannot get herbicides, pesticides, rodenticides, rodenticides fungicides, glyphosate, and, and uh, other farming chemicals that may be in there out of the plants. So when, they're, when you're taking supplements, you're taking a concentrated form of the plant. So um, if, you, you know, like if you just go look at Juice Plus commercials, let's say, oh, you know, five servings in, of broccoli in these five capsules. Well, you're taking all the water out and you're dehydrating this down. So what's happening is you're getting a lot of plant source in a capsule, which means you're concentrating all the toxins in there as well. Yep. And so when you know when you have a poor quality source product, you cannot make a high quality supplement out of it. And when you consider that only four to six percent of all the food eaten in the world is organic, we're dealing with a massive, massive industry where people are buying stuff that they assume is going to help them get healthy, but it's actually full of all sorts of chemicals, emulsifiers, stabilizers, colorings. There's, you know, like I did David Getoff's nutrition course many, many years ago, and he showed in there that almost every oil, such as vitamin E and any of the other oils, are rancid before you even open the bottle. And what he tells you to do is always poke one of them with your tooth and taste and smell the oil. And I started doing that and I found, oh my God, I'm eating, I was taking these supplements that are rancid. And and he says they're often rancid before they even get to the store because they put oils in there. He said there's a certain size of capsule. They use standard size capsules, but they might put 
a certain amount of vitamin E, but they will then fill the rest of the capsule because it's more than the prescribed dose with a carrier oil. And he said the carrier oils often oxidize the nutrition, the, the actual um, supplement oil, the, 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 the real supplement you're supposed to be getting. And so when you look at the toxicity, and the other thing that I found out the hard way is that a lot of people like, I'm genetically allergic to beef. Well, the number of supplements that are in caps that are made from beef or pork, and pork doesn't do well for me. So uh, if you don't look at a bottle and find out if those caps are made from vegetable sources, you can be having all sorts of painful and uncomfortable reactions, not realizing that you're actually bringing something into your body that you don't want. And I can't even imagine all the vegetarians out there that forget to look on the bottles. And, and, uh, it, uh, I was eating using some high quality enzymes, which are you know said by research to be some of the most potent um, enzymes in the world, uh, Wobenzymes. And um, I was talking to Wade Lightheart, and for those of you that are interested in a in fantastic interview about uh, uh, enzymes and probiotics and things like that, listen to my interview with Wade Lightheart. It's excellent, and his products are super high quality. But I was talking to Wade. Uh, personally in saying, you know, I'm using Wobenzymes and they're really high quality, but he, him and I had been talking about food reactions and stuff. And I'd mentioned to him that I had a, a, a an allergic, uh, I mean, a, a genetic allergy to beef. And he goes, well, Paul, do you realize that they have ox bile in them? And, you know, I never even thought to look at the package because I thought they were enzymes and enzymes aren't typically made of, of uh, beef products and things like that. And so I went back and I'd been having this, this um, like histamine reaction all around my sacrum and where my skin would break out. And I'm like trying to figure out what it is in my diet that's doing that. And no matter what I did to my diet or even fasting, I could not get rid of this reaction. And after he told me that, I went back and looked, well, they had, uh, they had pork, pank, uh, pork, let's see, they had, um, they had pork uh, pancreatic enzymes from pork in them. They didn't have ox bile, but pork and me don't get along at all. And I stopped using the Wobenzymes and switched to his enzymes and immediately within 24 hours, that problem went away. I'm like, oh, thank God. But the point I'm making is if you don't look at every ingredient in the label, even with high quality products like Wobenzyme, you don't know what you're getting. Yep. And they put all sorts of shit in these supplements. I've seen loads of articles highlighting all the different things they put in supplements that are potentially very bad for you. I can't remember all of them, but I remember having a discussion with Bill Walcott and he was talking to me about several of the things they put in supplements that I hadn't been alerted to yet. But the, really the point I'm trying to drive home is that if you're not using supplements from a certified organic source, you're probably just poisoning the hell out of your body in the name of health. And the supplements are actually a lot more expensive than the food source that they came from. In other words, you'd be far better to switch to certified organic food, take yourself off all the supplements, mm -hmm. see how you do. Yep. And then if you need supplements, go to a certified organic supplement. In, in my many years of working with athletes and patients of all types from very sick people to mental, emotional problems, to relationship problems. When I did my research to write my book, how to eat, move and be healthy. By the time 
I had gotten to about 1990, I'd gotten hip to organic food and metabolic typing and started really researching this a lot. And I got to the point where I realized that the most important screening tool I had was to take people off of all nuts, all grains, all seeds, all dairy except butter, preferably keeping that organic because of so many fungal infections and parasite infections. And I said, I want you to stop taking all supplements unless you absolutely have to by doctor's prescription. And then I would sometimes call the doctors and say, look, I'm doing an uh, elimination diet. I got to clean everything out of the system. Can we take this person off this drug for a few days? Even when they couldn't come off the drugs. To this day, I have had a 100% batting rate of people after that seven-day period with no nuts, no grains, no seeds, no dairy, no supplements, coming back to me going, Paul, I feel better than I felt in years. Why the hell was I taking all that shit? And I said, you believe too much of what you read in magazines and see on television and medical journals and nutritional journals. And then we start reintroducing things and they quickly find out what they're reacting to. But many of them have gone back to their protein powders and stuff like that and found out that they started having uh, the skin conditions that they used to have, bowel problems that they used to have, cognition problems that they used to have, um, you know, aching joints, all sorts of stuff. And the reality of it is, is that this, the, the, the whole thing we're talking about food extends itself right to the supplement industry. The difference is it's worse because it's concentrated, concentrated. Yep. and it's friggin' dangerous. Yeah. And to reinforce your point, I had a very, very similar experience with my fat loss clients. Like I'm a fat loss coach in Orange uh -huh. County yeah. and pretty much by just getting a person to sleep a lot better and just yes. eat well-sourced organic food was enough to get them to lose their 20 or 30 pounds. Yep even most of the time without even working out. Yes. So just to kind of reinforce your point that I totally agree with that. Yeah. No supplements, sometimes like no workouts, just literally sourcing high quality organic food plus sleeping well and working yeah. on a few other lifestyle variables was way more than enough to get them to lose the body fat they wanted. So I've seen people lose eight to 12 pounds in one week on that exclusion diet. And they come back to me looking completely different, feeling a lot better. And they go, Paul, I've been trying to lose weight for years. How did I drop all this weight so quick? Uh, it's, it's real simple. The weight that you thought was fat is mostly inflammation and water in your body. And a lot of the fat that you had is fat that was there to protect you from toxins. And now we got to make sure you have the diet and the nutrition on board. Fortunately, now there's some pretty good tests you can do, blood tests and things that'll actually identify what uh, vitamin levels you're actually low on, whether it be C or B or D or whatever. So you can actually today with some of the better testing determine what a person's actually really low on physiologically. So you know if you need to supplement that, you could go to an organic source for that. But back before that kind of testing was around, what I did is I just used bodily indicators such as the quality of their skin and, and fingernails and hair and gums and, you know, uh, there, there's a, a lot out there. I mean, naturopathic physicians have been looking at these indicators for a very long time. And so anybody that studies naturopathic medicine learns these approaches. The body's always telling you if you just know how to read it, things like cracked lips, cracked heels, um, uh, fingernails that, that, that uh, are fragile, brittle, or ridged or, or pitted or have check marks in them. I mean, there's a long list of stuff that I know to look for just from all my studies, but uh, people actually 
would be amazed at how much better they would do if they had high-quality water, high-quality food, and if they were going to take supplements, they went to certified organic supplements. And what I found is most people eating a certified organic diet, if they have a food rotation plan in place, which is why I use a four-day rotation diet, so they're getting enough variety. Because even if you're eating certified organic food, if your variety is too narrow, which is why I tell people eat with the seasons, because at least that way you're going to get variety, um, I find people get healthy way faster than you do with traditional medical approaches. And oftentimes stuff that they've been seeing doctors for years just clears up. I've seen cancer clear up. I've seen everything under the sun go away. So, you know, until we get back to the principles of nature, um, you know, Hippocrates's oath was first do no harm and the medical systems completely lost the plot on that. And so have dietitians. And I mean, all you got to do to see a bunch of sick people is just go to any dietitians or nutritionist conference. I remember I was lecturing at a, uh, uh, a health and fitness conference at a hotel a few years back. And they, and when I walked in the door, you know how sometimes when you walk into the door of hotels, it'll list all the conferences mm-hmm. and it's in this room, this ballroom or whatever. And it, it said um, nutrition and dietitian conference. And it was some big association. I thought, Oh, I have to go stick my head in the door and see what we have here. I opened the door and I swear to God, the average person in there was 60 pounds heavy. It was like an obesity conference and they were all nutritionists. When I was in the army on the boxing team, we had to every six months go to a mandatory meeting with the army nutritionist. And this woman was about five foot four and about 270 pounds and none of the boxers would listen to her. And I was in charge of nutrition And so it was kind of a joke because everybody would bring magazines and things and they would be just sitting there with their heads down pretending they were taking notes, but they were just reading magazines and books and not paying attention because every one of them was a world-class athlete. And they would all say to the coach, why should we listen to this fat woman who's obviously a sick person who's not an athlete at all tell us how to eat? You know, and they, the coaches would say, look, it's mandatory. It's military. You've just got to go do it. Just bring something else to read and pretend. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there's a time and a place for doctors. I say hospitals are great places to go if you get hit by a car or fall mm-hmm. off a ladder and break a bone, but you want to get the fuck out of there as quick as you can. Um, well, you have to at the price of staying in the hospital well, these my days. God, and Better the, get out of there in like two hours. <laughs> believe me, after two kids, the price of having a child, I mean, unfortunately, for for not reasons of health, but other reasons, um, Angie's not an unhealthy person, but both of our kids had to be delivered by C-section. And the hospital bills... 35 bucks they charge for one of those, you know, those little small boxes of cornflakes like you get on airplanes? $35 for a box of cornflakes. It's like, and she didn't even eat it. She said, I don't want it. Don't bring it to me. But they billed her for it. Anyhow, she was fighting with these insurance companies forever. And the bills were through the roof. It was unfriggin' believable how much they charge for stuff. It's like the biggest ripoff ever. So, you know, what are we really saying? Hopefully you're getting the message. It's worth the time and energy. Read new Eugene's anti-factory farm shopping guide. Read my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. Take Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 online where I teach you all the things you need to know to get healthy. Anybody can do it. A 12-year-old can do the course. Eat real food. 
support organic farmers that are supporting the soil and supporting the planet, not poisoning the planet. Share your health because everywhere you go, people see you changing. They become inspired to do what you're doing. Telling people what to do doesn't help. Showing them that it works does help. And so at the end of the day, the positive of the negative is, is that we are all at a point now where we have to start taking responsibility for making our own decisions, doing our own research, and finding podcasts like mine or uh, Ben Greenfield's or Kyle Kingsbury's. Um, You know, there's a lot of great information out there on podcasts. And just ask yourself, is the person telling you this stuff healthy? If they're not, they're not qualified to be your teacher. I tell Czech professionals, if you can't teach in your underwear, then you got to work on yourself. And I'm, and I don't mean that ironclad because for example, I've had students come to HLC training that are still carrying more weight than they should, but they've lost 60, 70. I remember one time I had a guy coming from, from HLC one to HLC two, he'd lost 90 pounds, but he was still feeling a bit insecure about teaching. I said, look, how many people out there weigh more than you right now? How many people can you be an inspiration to? So when I say if you can't teach in your underwear, I don't mean that if you're not perfect or beautiful. I mean, if you don't have evidence that what you're doing works, enough evidence that you're confident to teach people because you know the results in yourself, then you shouldn't be teaching it because you're just guessing and people shouldn't have to pay a lot of money for guesses. It's just not fair to people. And for people that have kids, my God, this is so friggin' important. It's unbelievable. Angie and Penny and I are shocked. We go to the park and we see the difference between our kids and the kids out there. In fact, all Czech professionals that use these principles have made the same observations. The kids of the same age as the Czech professionals, kids don't have as good a coordination. They don't have as good a mental function. They're often got slurred speech. They look like they're suffering from very delayed development, which is a combination of poisoning by vaccines and bad food. And then lack of exercise for a lot of them. But it's it's amazing. Like I'm so grateful that I have this knowledge because our little kids are just vital, powerful, intelligent little beings. And you just watch them blossoming like flowers. If they get colds, they get over it quickly. Their immune systems are healthy. So there's a lot there's a lot we can do for ourselves. And I think that, you know, whenever you look up something and you find diametrically opposed opinions by equally qualified experts, a lot of my students come to me and go, I don't know who to believe. I say, well, that's your invitation to make a decision for yourself. Try it. If one guy says cold showers are bad for you and another one says they're good for you, go get wet. Don't wait for someone to give you permission to do a test like that. What's the worst thing that'll happen? You're soaking wet on the inside. You'll get cold, dry off, and go sit by a heater. So sort of the positive is is that we're being pushed up in our conscious development to where we can no longer act like children and be subordinate to people in white coats. We can't trust science. We can't trust the medical system. We have to take a dose of common sense and look for the answers and find healthy people that have solved these these problems and i don't know anybody that's gone on this journey honestly and hasn't been able to find vitality health food 
better medical options, better healthcare options, better massage therapy, better acupuncture. I mean, there's a lot of ways people can do it. Um, any Anything else that you'd like to share before we finish out? Any uh, specifics that you'd really like to hit on, uh, Eugene, as sort of a closing commentary? Yeah, like one of my biggest, like easy to go to options in terms of, so first of all, if you do want to stick to the grocery store, yeah, a great website is cornucopia, I think .com or .net, I totally forgot, but it basically pretty much lists like every single item you're going to find at the grocery store, and then it tells mm-hmm. you how conventionally farmed or factory farmed that item is. Yes. So for your audience that definitely just wants to go to the grocery store, there are still items you can buy from there, but it's yeah. kind of limited, even at whole, even at high-end places like Whole Foods. Yeah. But they can kind of check out that site. As a general rule, you never want to buy pork, turkey, or chicken at the supermarket. Mm. It's even if it says free range, even if so. First of all, poultry for free range, it means basically uh, one to 1.2 square foot per hand. Okay, so that's what free range is. That's and, funny. And typically, there's like a hundred thousand of them in this warehouse, yeah. and they have this small little concrete patio yep. where they get to roam free, maybe at a certain amount of times during the day. Yeah, but really, if you visit any of these free range operations, they have like a small little window where the chicken is allowed to go through and typically what you're going to see is like probably 90,000 of them inside and then like 50 of them outside yeah so in that case it's just a cage-free operation which is like another super super gimmicky phrase as well yeah uh so yeah just kind of stay away from turkey stay away from chicken stay away from pork at the supermarket level there are still some good beef options but once again it's very rare to find yeah and uh, another another website a person can check out for supplements since we touched on that it's consumer report, I think, .org or .com. Yeah, I've heard you, of that one. You'll have to pay for that one. I think it's like 14 bucks, but they send you a detailed like toxicology report of pretty much like every single supplement. So you tell them what you want to take? Uh, they have a list of supplements they've tested and oh. they sell you the report. Oh, from, I see. Okay, so it's not like uh, I've got this supplement. Can you tell me what's in it? No, not like that. They, they already kind of like did their testing and then they have those reports for sale on there. That's another great resource. Yeah. You know, also, so. another thing I want to say, because it's this whole vegan and vegetarian craze that's going on, people don't realize if you're a vegetarian or a vegan and you're eating commercially raised produce and, and all that stuff, you're you're just poisoning yourself that way too. So, I mean, everything we're talking about with regard to organic is even more critical because having rehabbed countless vegans and vegetarians in my career, uh, most of them are eating commercial stuff. And if you're not eating enough bioavailable protein to meet your genetic requirements and you're going vegetarian and you're eating commercially raised garbage with low nutrient densities and high toxicity levels, well, you know hopefully your vegetarianism actually includes a philosophy of how to handle a slow death because you're going to meet God and uh, doubt God's going to be too impressed with your diet dogma. Um, yeah. And I'm not against vegetarianism. As most people know, I've been one. I was, I was committed vegetarian for a year and I did one for when I was a kid for six months. So I explored it personally because, because I, uh, I had my own spiritual reasons for it. But but I have no attachment to any uh, diet whatsoever. But what I'm saying is don't get caught up in all the hype and all the kind of religious fervor, the ism. Pay close attention to your body and just be dead honest. You know, if all of a sudden you smell meat and you start salivating, that's a real indication that your body's hungry for meat and you should feed the damn thing. 
But again, pay attention to everything Eugene just said you to you because you could just go from one sort of bad diet to a uh, you know putting meat in your body and 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 it could just be another form of poison. Yeah, and for the vegetarians out there, it is important to remember, at least from my research, that the U.S. is the only country that allows hydroponics produce to be certified as organic. Right, you were like telling USDA me that. Like yeah. USDA organic. And uh, for the audience that doesn't know, it's basically kind of like an IV drip where like some plant is grown in some kind of chemical solution. Yes. Not even grown in soil. Yeah. And uh, I don't have like any like hardcore studies that show there is a nutritional difference between hydroponics or produce that is grown in soil. Yeah. But one thing that's important to understand is kind of like the earth has been around for about like 4.5 billion years of extremely complicated evolution yeah. that scientists don't even have like a small glimpse of understanding and it might not even be accurate even at that. Yeah, that's true. I've, I've heard research recently suggesting that the earth is potentially 13 billion years old Yeah, like even, by modern science. Yeah, like even more convincing, let's just say 13 billion years. So it took that long, long to develop the soil composition yes. that gives rise to the type of crops we're eating today. Yeah. So if you think by growing like a specific crop in some random chemical solution that's has like some ivy drip to the plant is the same exact thing, then I kind of like don't know what to tell you at that point. Well, you know, that extends itself to another modern craze, which is marijuana, because a lot of marijuana is commercially grown hydroponically, and they put tons of uh, chemicals and that stuff. And I've had many people come to me with anxiety problems and uh, kind of manic uh, depressive problems. And the first thing I ask them is, are you smoking pot? Yes. Find out if it's hydroponically grown. And every time I've found someone that's having these problems and it's hydroponically grown, I say switch to outdoor grown organic marijuana. And a lot of times that's all it took to get rid of all those problems because these chemicals are very dangerous to the body. Um, there was one other thought that I wanted to share before we close. Yes, you know, in my research on on fish farming, mm -hmm. I found that there was a lot of steroid use amongst fish farmers because they want to make these fish get really big. And one time I came across a documentary where David Suzuki, the famous Canadian uh, naturalist, you are familiar with David Suzuki? I, I have never heard of him. Oh my God, you should just look him up. He is incredibly smart and... He's just like the wise old man, and he does some pretty profound stuff, teaching stuff about nature. But anyhow, David Suzuki got aware of this, and he's a Canadian uh, doctor. He's a, he's probably got many doctorate degrees, but um, he did uh, a mathematical modeling with salmon because one of the uh, farm fish mm -hmm. operations is salmon mm -hmm. that they use uh, steroids with, and what they noticed is that they they studied the mating habits of salmon and they found that the females are attracted to the biggest males so they will selectively mate with the larger males and and they and the one of the concerns that that people that had knowledge in this area had was if these these steroid given males ever got out of their pens that they would they would start having preferential breeding with all these females so david suzuki did a mathematical model and I can't remember what it was. It was like 40 or 50 generations, but he showed that if, if you get steroid injected males, that they will shift the breeding and that pretty soon within 40 or 50 generations, they will have completely wiped out the entire species and it could wipe out all the salmon on the planet. Yeah. And that's a huge problem in Norway, actually. And there's a really good documentary called 
Norwegian salmon, most toxic fish in the world. Wow. And it's on YouTube, and I would highly recommend people to watch it. And it totally touches on the subject you just mentioned in a lot of detail. Yeah. I don't remember the specifics, so don't quote me on the David Suzuki study, but the mathematical model showed it wouldn't take too many of those steroid-using males to get into the open ocean. Mm-hmm. And in, in short order, it could wipe out the entire species. And he's got the knowledge and the mathematical skill to figure this out. Yeah. And on top of that, the viruses they spread as yes, well. Yeah. Viruses from like Nor- Norwegian farm salmon are even showing up in like Chile. Yeah. You know, like that far away. So yeah. it's definitely contaminating the entire like ecosystem. Yes. That's one of the things about farm fish farming is it's it's quite toxic because they are in these closed containers. They don't have good cleaning systems. Um, also because it's relatively unregulated, there's all sorts of chemicals that they use that are not actually safe to put in the food supply, but nobody's checking up on them. Yeah. Like intoxicine is one of the more popular preservatives used. It's obviously developed by Monsanto. Who else, you know? And no No surprise. Yeah. It's not even supposed to be used in food, but it's used in fish pellets, which are fed to the fish. And then it makes it into the nutritional profile of the fish. And then obviously you eat it. I guess one of the recommendations, one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they tell me like, oh, but I buy Atlantic salmon at the grocery store. Yeah. But for a lot of people, they have to understand like 99.9% of Atlantic salmon sold at the grocery store is farm salmon. Yes. Yeah. So they kind of get confused because they see a picture of like some fish jumping around in the yeah. ocean yeah. and they see Atlantic salmon. So they're like, oh, it's salmon from the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah. But then you flip it on the back and like very small, like bottom type, it says like, oh, farmed, farmed raised. But like- rarely anyone does this so they buy this fish pretty much their entire life and then kind of like never even know the difference they yeah think it's- you know it's interesting because there's been times where i didn't know if like i may be at a restaurant or something and i'll say is this farm or not oh i don't think so i don't know when you know i'm hungry and i want to eat so i'll say okay i'll give it a go but when i've had farmed fish one of the things that I notice, one is the density of the nutrition's not there. The texture of the flesh is different. And you know how like if you chew, say, um, a nice piece of lamb, there's a, as you're breathing, you can smell the, the flavor. You can smell the meat. And when I, whenever I'm, uh, we were on a cruise ship uh, not long ago and I had some fish on there. I thought, I'll just give it a try. I'll take a couple bites, see how it is. And you can actually taste and smell this these very unusual, I would write it down to chemicals but or toxicity. But when I get that taste in my mouth, my whole body just says, do not eat that stuff. And, and I just leave it alone. But if you get uh, farm fish and pay attention to the taste and the smell, you can. It often smells like the meat itself is dirty, like it was raised in dirty water or something. And so, you well, know, usually under these farmed fish, uh, so uh, aquacultures could be on land. They're usually on shore, and they're sometimes out deep at sea as well. Yeah. But what happens is usually you get about like twenty meters of like kind of shit yes. under these nets yes, exactly. because there's like a million plus fish in like yeah. a single aquaponic or aquaculture. Uh, operations so you get like this huge amount of fecal matter yeah which is like one of the ways that the viruses and spread to and the wild parasites fish. tons yeah. of parasites and fish is famous for being a source of parasites i mean most people know that which is why they serve usually they serve raw ginger at sushi restaurants because ginger kills parasites hmm. so you know that's the other thing if you're going to eat uh farm fish or you're going to eat 
uh, sushi, you need to make sure you eat raw ginger or raw garlic with it because it'll kill the bugs. Or um, that, and you can dose it with hot sauce. If you get a real good ass kicker hot sauce, that'll kill bugs as well. Gotcha. Great conversation, Eugene. I'm really impressed with your book. For those of you listening, the book's not real big. It's, it's um, you know, maybe three quarters of a normal page size. Um, it's how many pages is it, Eugene? Uh, I think like 90 pages, but the large bulk of the content is yeah. actually comes in the video content that comes with the book. Right. So it's 78 pages. You get video lessons when you buy yep. the book. I saw if you just send a copy of a receipt. Um, so there's a lot more, but the key points are in the book. It's well illustrated. It's easy to read. It gets right to the key points. I think it's, as I said in the beginning, it's, it's probably an absolute must have for whoever does the shopping for the family. There's a couple of other books too. One of the things I recommend to all my students is always get a food additives dictionary so that when you're buying stuff, you can look, especially if you're an athlete, because you can look up the ingredients, unfortunately, a huge percentage of the ingredients aren't on the labels anymore, as you know, but um, I found about 30 plus percent of all food additives are gastrointestinal inflammatory, which means it'll give you leaky gut syndrome. Um, and another great book that I've recommended is the Safe Shoppers Bible by, I think it's Samuel Epstein, and he gets into everything from body care products and lipsticks to foods and and gives a lot of information that, that we haven't discussed here, but it's also useful to have. So those are a couple resources. I have a couple of other different, you know, shopping guides and things like that, but none of them oriented like yours is. So uh, Eugene, where can people find you, uh, your services? What, what services you offer? You said you're a fat loss coach. Is that what you primarily are doing? Yep. That's primarily what I do. So, okay. And then, um, uh, the book, Amazon, anything else that you want to share? Do you have a website you want to give people so they can find you? Yeah, they can find me at uh, com. So it's like T-R-U-F-K-I-N, athletics.com. Okay. Or they just Google my name on Google as well, and they'll find, I'm sure, my Facebook and all now, that Now, if stuff. they do E-U-G-E-N-E, will they get it? Yep. Okay. Either or will probably come up on the first page. So. He, he's from the Ukraine, right? Yep. So his his first name is spelled E-V-G-E-N-Y, or Eugene. And so, uh, and if people want to book services with you or consult with you, they can do it through your website? Yeah, they could, then my contact information is on there and they could just contact me. So Fantastic. Thank you for sharing and thank you for doing the research to write this book. Now, thank you for being an inspiration for me, honestly, because I would have mm -hmm. never written the book if I would have never run into your dirt facts on youtube so like yeah four well years ago or there's so. you, there's a resource for you you can look at my nutrition the dirt facts video it's uh split a lot of minds open i'll tell you over the years because it's been out for a while i think i put it out there in 2006 we do sell a dvd of it through the institute it is on my youtube channel www.youtube.com forward slash paul c-h-e-k live nutrition the dirt facts um, and that's a presentation I gave at the Swiss Conference in Canada, which is the Society for Weightlifting Injury Specialists. Um, and then, of course, you have Holistic Lifestyle Coach Level 1 online through the Czech Institute, chekinstitute.com. 
You got my book, How to Eat, Move, and Be Healthy. You couple that with all the resources we've talked about today. You got a damn good chance of staying healthy in the midst of the craziness and uh, drink some good water. And um, hey, enjoy yourself out there. Today's the day to start taking care of yourself. Let your body be your guide. Your body never lies. And uh, you know what? There's no better way to teach people how to be healthy than to do it. They can't deny the facts. So great time sharing, Eugene. Um, When you write your next book, let me know. We better talk about it. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Bye, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you like it, share it. Share it widely. Time is running out. We got to use our dollars and support the small farmers before they get pushed out by all these big conglomerates and there's nothing left to eat. And we'll be in the, uh, like the movie Soylent Green, we'll all be eating manufactured synthetic goop. And uh, God knows what'll happen from there. So, on the bright side of it is, I've helped countless numbers of people get healthy. And you still can find certified organic food. There's a lot of farmers and people that really do care for the planet. And I think it should be all hands on deck to support them. And Eugene, your book is a fantastic resource and all the websites you shared are fantastic. So thank you. Thank you. Goodbye, everybody. Enjoy yourself. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Eugene Trufkin. You can find out more about Eugene at his website, trufkinathletics.com, or follow him on Facebook at eugenie.trufkin, spelt with a V, Instagram at trufkin underscore athletics, or YouTube, Eugene Trufkin, spelt with a U. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4d with paul check you can watch more on paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and at the czech institute's new streaming channel chickiva.com 